All right, all right. What's good, people? Welcome back to the Onyx Report. Hope everybody is well. Uh, <laughs> as you guys can see, this was actually one of the days I could I could post the advertisement a little bit earlier. So I got some surprise listeners on YouTube. <laughs> a lot of the time, I don't know what I'm going to cover until I cover it. But again, welcome to the Onyx Report, where we as Black male justice advocates uplift Black men and boys using critical analysis. Pretty busy week for me over here. I will be joining presentation this Saturday. Actually, it's a two-day presentation, two-day conference online at William and Mary College. So, um, you know, I will be there with a number of, of good brothers, at least uh, be there, um, what do you call it, remotely. But uh, we will be presenting on Black men. And uh, Let's see if I can pull up the information in time. Yep. Um, and so this is for the Lemon Project Symposium. Um, and so this is uh, this weekend, as I said, should be pretty good. Uh, a lot of good brothers are there. Tommy Curry will be keynote. Um, myself will be there. O'Shea Gadsden, uh, I believe Hood Scholar will be coming through. Um, uh, so it'll be a number of good brothers there. We're going to be presenting. It's a spring symposium, I should say. So I uh, hope you guys, uh, I don't know, you, you have to check with William and Mary College. Again, the Lemon Project, uh, you know, you can ask them about access if that's something you're interested in. Uh, but it's the William and Mary's Lemon Project Spring 20, 2022 Symposium. So check that out if you would. And because it's on East Coast time, I will be presenting like six in the morning my time. So, you know, I may or may not get some sleep before that because I am not an early riser. <laughs> anyway, hope you guys are well. I see Prodigy in here. What's up? Good brother Tim Winston. What's going on? See Truth. Hope everybody's well. Uh, there's a brother, there's a cat in here with a name. I can't, I can't read. Um, not sure what nationality that is. I don't even want to try to butcher that, but peace to you. Uh, Barry, what's going on? You know, got Barry in the house. Um, Mike, Ron, Hybrid Ninjas. What's up? Jay Cleveland. There it is. You know, some of my regulars in here. Kwame, appreciate that support. Um, Indigo Flow. MLR, what's good, man? Um, brother Ian. Ian, man, matter of fact, uh, Ian, this one is for you. Hope you're well. Rashid uh, Barnes, thanks for that support, man. Um, you know, uh, MLR, appreciate that support. Y'all are starting early tonight. <laughs> Nim, uh, Resistance, what's up? Indigo Flow, Ishmael. Uh, Ian, I appreciate you supporting in the chat. Tonight's show, dealing with the definition of the gynopotestal, is a request that I've gotten from several people, but Ian in particular asked. So I said, you know what? Let me go through it. Uh, what's up, Brotherly Love? What's going on? Um, shout out to Prodigy for that support. Jay Cleveland, appreciate the support. Indeed, we are all we got. Um, Okay. Uh, the woman's name is Cyrillic, I guess it is. Uh, Svetlana. Okay. All right. Appreciate that, Winston. Svetlana Katina. Svetlana Katina. Wow. Um, <laughs> let me not get ahead of myself. First and foremost, y'all know I like to support and honor my subscribers. So let me start by doing that.
right. So much thanks to my subscribers and supporters. And you guys know the deal at this point. Um, yeah, Jay Cleveland, uh, again, appreciate that. It looks like my uh, system is catching up here <laughs> uh, with supporters, but uh, <laughs> it's still doing the most. Anyway, you guys know what it is. Support the channel, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate if you would. Uh, support the channel. You can do that right here uh, through um, YouTube with the Super Chat, or you can do it through Patreon, Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo. You can also become a monthly supporter either on YouTube or Patreon, and you can become a monthly supporter of the Institute for Black Male Studies. So please make sure you support both. Mr. Blue Collar, much appreciation. Uh, thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, let's get it in. All right. Uh, let me start out by getting some things together here. Today has been kind of a whirlwind, and y'all know we've been kicking up how often uh, we broadcast over here with the Onyx Report, moving to a daily format as far as, uh, five, you know, mostly five days a week if I can. Last night I had a meeting I couldn't get out of. So um, <clears throat> I think we've only done one other show this week so far. Anyway, we're going to kick it off. Y'all know what we do with the Sacred Black Masculine series. And basically what this is, if you don't know, is that we honor black men and black men's accomplishments over here. And so I like to start out by acknowledging very organically when I see things that deserve acknowledgement. Um, now, these are things that come across my desk. Um, so it's not something I really go out my way to look for. But sometimes my listeners will send this in. We are broadcasting tonight, uh, just so you know, not only on YouTube, but Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch, and of course, on innerlightradio.com. So please make sure you support station there shout out to brother jamal uh, putting this on black owned you know what it is so support interlight radio um but kick off our sacred black masculine series um this here you can find on shopblack.us entitled black developers make history with a 100 million dollar project in birmingham All right a team of black developers is set to transform 222 acres of land in Birmingham, Alabama into an estimated 900 residential unit, single family, multifamily and senior housing uh, project that has an estimated cost of $100 million. Birmingham City Council with Mayor Randall L. Woodfin today approved an ordinance authorizing the sale and, developed and, de uh, and development of real estate with Green Meadow Apartments, LLC. The development team is all African-American, including the general contractor with over $2 billion to date. This is the largest transaction led by African-Americans in the city's history. Um, I cannot speak to the particular politi politics of the area. Um, these kind of things, I generally like to wait until they happen to acknowledge them. But this time around, I wanted to get that in. What's up, Keep It 100? we got Marcus in the building. I'll make sure you support the Keep It 100 channel. Everybody uh, is doing well, as I said before, but uh, let's get it in. We got to celebrate Marcus because he just got over a thousand subs. So uh, shout out to that brother. Um, so continue to check him out so we can make sure that he gets that support. But anyway, so as far as this, you know, again, just shouting out this project, you know, hopefully uh, 
if we get the details to this, it, it will be as good under the table as it seems to be on top of the table. Um, but those of you who are in the Alabama area that are politically astute and may know anything about this, feel free to shoot me some information. As I said, hopefully it's all good, right? Brother Malika, thanks for that support, man. Hope you're well. Glad to have you here as usual. Um, you know, all right. Next one on the docket, this one comes from Grambling State. Uh, and you can find this on hbcuconnect.com. It's entitled Grambling State's Call Me Mr. Program Receives Historic $2 million in Federal Funding. is not okay there we go it says uh, throw me something mister is a phrase that has become an important part of springtime louisiana folklore especially during mardi gras rambling state university's call me mister program is on the receiving end this time according to u.s congresswoman julia letlow during a recent interview letlow told knoe television in monroe louisiana that gsu's call me mister program will receive two million dollars as part of $15 million in federal funding for the state's fifth congressional district share, the annual federal budget. Students in Grambling's Call Me Mr. program play such a critical role in the future of our region. We're incredibly proud to have secured this funding and guided it through the appropriations processed in Congress. Uh, our team is grateful for the partnership with President Gallot, or Gallo, I don't know, Dr. Knopfland, and the entire Grambling community. And we look forward to bringing home more investment for the university in the future. The Call Me Mr. program also refers to mentors instructing students toward effective role models. Uh, was founded originally at Clemson University in 2000. The program strives to increase the pool of available teachers from a more diverse background, particularly among the lowest performing elementary schools. Because less than 2% of the teachers in America are African-American males, Grambling State's Black Male Teacher Initiative joined with Clemson's program to help develop and recruit more black men into, into the teaching profession. Student participants are largely selected from among underserved, socioeconomically disadvantaged and educationally at-risk communities. Call Me Mister serves students at 19 participating colleges within South Carolina, as well as eight national partner institutions, including Grambling State. Right? Uh, Roy Jones, the executive director Eugene T says, this is a wonderful news, and I believe it shows the recognition of the underrepresentation of black male educators and what they mean to our educational system. This is such an important program, and I'm very appreciative of Congresswoman Letlow and others. So, yeah, $2 million. Hopefully the program, again, is on the up and up, and it is doing well. It seems to be. I'm very proud to see brothers doing this. I hope it continues. What's up, uh, Ghetto User 49? Appreciate that support. Thank you very much. Um, let's see here. Yeah, so shout out to these brothers. And this is the kind of stuff that we definitely have to do. I mean, at some point, uh, each of us have to find a way to take what we're talking about and put it into some kind of action on some level. Got to find a way to actualize what we're talking about, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, in my vein, it has to do more with, you know, creating ideas, publishing, uh, presentations, so on and so forth. Um, for others, you know, it could be whatever that needs to be, even if it's individual mentoring. But at some point, we need to apply what we're talking about so we can actually see some change. Right. Shout out to Reynolds or Ray Knowles. I don't know how you pronounce that, but I appreciate having you here. 
Um, and I appreciate that support. All right. So let us keep it going with a public service announcement before we jump in. All right. Yeah. This is an interesting one. I was hoping you guys would uh, be aware of this. So I'm just bringing it to your attention. If you're not, you can find this on Gizmodo or Gizmodo.com. Uh, it's entitled, A Birth Control Pill for Men Could Start Human Trials This Year. Right? So this is dated today. Um, it says the non-hormonal pill was 99% effective at preventing pregnancy in mice. Right? Scientists are still racing to create the first male contraceptive that isn't a condom or surgery. In new preliminary research, a team says they've de developed a non-hormonal form of male birth control, one that kept lab mice sterile for four to six weeks with seemingly no side effects. Early human trials of the pill are expected to begin by the end of the year. The proposed contraceptive is the product of researchers at the University of Minnesota who say it works by targeting how our bodies, excuse me, targeting how our bodies interact with vitamin A, known to be essential to fertility in mammals. Diets deficient in vitamin A have been linked to sterility, for instance. After a lengthy search, they found an experimental compound that blocks a protein responsible for binding to a form of vitamin A, right, uh, retinoic acid in our cells, known as retinoic acid receptor. Uh-oh, lost my place. Here we go. Uh, alpha, right? Uh, it's one of the three proteins with a similar function, and the hope is that its selective blocking is enough to induce long-lasting but reversible sterility while causing little to no off-target effects elsewhere. We're going to have to talk uh, to Dr. Goodbar, get his perspective on the science behind it, and see uh, you know, if there's any merit to this. Anyway, it continues, uh, there are other potential male birth control treatments closer to fruition. Um in clinical trials already, though it's been a long and difficult road to get there. Most of these proposed options work by targeting testosterone, which would which could come with unwanted side effects like higher cholesterol or lower sex drive. The UMN team thinks their treatment could skate past these concerns, which could make it uh, a more appealing option. According to lead researcher uh, MD Abdul Abdullah Al-Naman, a graduate student in uh, medicinal chemistry at the university, since men do not have to suffer the consequences of pregnancy, the threshold for side effects from birth control pills is rather low. He told Gizmodo in an email, that's why we're trying to develop non-hormonal birth control pills to avoid hormonal side effects. So far, the compound, dubbed GPHR529, seems to work as intended. And new data presented Wednesday at the spring meeting of the American Chemical Society, the team found that male mice dosed with the treatment uh, for four weeks, consistently experienced a sharp drop in sperm count and became sterile. Overall, GPHR529 was estimated to be 99% effective in preventing pregnancy with no noticeable side effects. And about four to six weeks after they stopped taking it, the male mice were no longer sterile. Other research uh, of theirs in animals has similarly shown that inhibiting RAR-A should be safe and effective at inducing temporary male sterility. Uh, Let's see. What else? Uh, the team has licensed GPHR529 to the company Your Choice Therapeutics for further development. And should things go as planned, they hope to start early stage clinical trials in people by the latter half of the year. UMN team is also still working to identify other promising candidates, both in case GPHR um, doesn't pan out and to improve on their existing concept. 
which could allow them to get the same contraceptive effect at a lower dose. Elsewhere, the male contraceptive gel, NES-T, which lowers levels of sperm and natural testosterone, but then supplements its own testosterone to reduce side effects, is rounding the corner. Larger scale phase uh, 2B trial of the gel is expected to be completed in early 2023, though more trials will be needed for FDA approval. So just letting y'all know, this is the kind of stuff that is on the table, um, you know, and we got to see what this is about. And again, this is one of the reasons that we would bring in Dr. Dunbar and uh, yeah, yeah, we call him Dr. Goodbar. He knows why. I hope the brothers well. Uh, but we got to get him in and we got to talk about, you know, what this is and what it means and whether or not there's any merit to any of this. Right. 135 watching. Like, share, subscribe, join, donate, support the channel if you would so we can keep it going. Right. All right. Let us see what it is. Oh. Wanted to get this in. Um, I've been checking this out. All right, Samuel L. Jackson, The Last Days with Ptolemy Gray. This is based on a novel by Walter Mosley. Very interesting series. Uh, three episodes are out on Apple TV right now. Um, I don't know how many there will be, but from my understanding, they drop on Fridays. I will probably do a review, but I was going to wait until it was finished. Um, but the first three episodes are pretty strong, and they're they're... They're definitely, if nothing else, because I can't say um, what the quality of it will be toward the end. You know, hopefully it won't be a Game of Thrones thing where this thing is dope and then it ends up being horrible at the end. But I rather doubt it. And apparently this has been, a, a you know, a pet project for both uh, Samuel Jackson and Walter Mosley for a minute. Uh, and I can I can and I'll say this. I'll say this. This is probably the best work I've ever seen Samuel Jackson do. And it's, it's partly because he breaks from character. You know what I mean? It's probably why. You know, usually I see this kind of thing with comedians. Like when I think of uh, Robin Williams, you know, beautiful comedian, hilarious. And then by the time he switched to drama, it blew a lot of us away. If you, ever, if you haven't seen uh, some of his dramatic work, uh, it blew us away because it went against type. Well, Samuel Jackson is doing something similar. Uh, most of the time we see him as very assertive, fairly confrontational, very strong. This is the first time I've seen him play a character that is incredibly vulnerable. Uh, and it's mainly because he's playing a 90, 90, I think 93 year old character who is dealing with Alzheimer's dementia. And so I've never seen Jackson play a role like this. And I can tell you as far as the first three episodes, salute to the brother. So if you have the opportunity, check out uh, the last days of Ptolemy Gray uh, give your thoughts. Um, and uh, as I said, when the series ends, I'll probably do a review for my Patreon and then open it up. So I definitely am interested in checking out your thoughts, but wanted to let you know it is worthy of reflection. It is worthy of acknowledgement. And if nothing else, it is some quality work from Samuel Jackson. So far, um, I'm digging uh, Mosley's work in this. I like uh, one of uh, one of Mosley's top pieces to me is uh, Always outnumbered, always outgunned. If you haven't seen that, check that out. Um, beautiful piece. Lawrence Fishburne, you know, really kills it in that as far as the film adaption. But uh, I tend to like uh, Mosley's work. Um, so anyway, just wanted to kind of shout the brother out because he's doing some powerful work. And if you haven't seen The Banker on Apple TV, uh, definitely check that one out as well. He did that with Anthony Mackie, uh, Samuel Jackson. 
beautiful work in that. But, you know, we're used to seeing Samuel play Samuel. So take no prisoners, you know, straight up. Uh, that's kind of how he is. I've never seen him this vulnerable. Uh, and it highlights the experience of many of our elders in terms of what they deal with. But again, even when we talk about elders, I don't know if I've seen very many elder black men and, and the, the, the particular things that they face. I don't think I've seen too many productions that delve into that. Everything from family stealing from you to, you know, forced dependence on others uh, while, of course, dealing with issues like dementia and uh, Alzheimer's. Very powerful. Very powerful. Um, so check that out if you can. I think it's definitely worthy. All right. So this is what it is. What does the black gynecotestal family mean? Right? And I invited my good brother to join me on this one because when I first introduced the concept, he joined me in talking about it even then. And uh, I'm not even sure which video I first introduced it in, but I wanted to invite him back in because he's been doing some incredible work. Well, he always has been. But lately, he's been doing some um, some ongoing shows examining a number of different major reports. Um, and I want, to get, I want to give him an opportunity to shout that out because I think this work needs to be seen. Um, and we're going to tie that in to the Black kind of Protestal Network. So first and foremost, is my good brother BGS there? BGS, you there? What's going on, Doc? What's up, man? How you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. I wanted you to shout out a little bit of the work you've been doing with art recently. Oh, um, it, it, it actually was born from the Monaghan report and the debate that was going back and forth with that. But the thing is, uh, the uh, the study that uh, that was done by President Johnson that actually highlighted the Monaghan report was actually called the Kerner Commission after mm -hmm. the night of after the. Uh, the hot summer of 1967 when you, I think he had like 30 or 40 major riots in the urban areas. And so, so he pulled the, the stuff from the, from the mining report and actually gave it to uh, a commission, the Kerner commission, right? I think it's like 1500 people. All right, go and find out why this keeps occurring, especially amongst black folks. And, uh, and so uh, a lot of your, your, um, uh, affirmative action policies like, uh, FHA, where you can actually buy housing, integrating the schools, all the kind of stuff, uh, workforce for, uh, for for work training for, for black men, you know, that, that happened in the 70s, that all came out of um, um, the Kerner Commission. Even what we uh, even we had uh, Officer Charles a couple of times on uh, because it actually talked about community policing to, to okay. actually, um, actually uh, uh, not desensitize, but actually uh, actually uh, reduce the friction between police and the uh, urban inhabitants right so a lot of your community policing um uh standards actually come from the kerner commission so we wanted to examine that um along with the with the monaghan report and, and not only see uh what what they proposed but also what was actually implemented because mm -hmm. uh, the thing is it's uh a lot of these policies that we have we think they, they've been here forever the thing is they actually weren't prior to 1968 they weren't um so a lot of the policies that we take advantage of as far as affirmative action actually came from this right so that's what we want to you know want to make sure that people actually know the history of it and why you know like i said i'm a why person why did things come about why do they exist not that they just do exist right 
Now, uh, shout out to Durante Swing uh, for the uh, uh, super chat as well as Barry Little. Appreciate that. Um, but you guys have done like a ten-piece series, though, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's actually a seven. It's actually a seven-hundred-page book. So right. there's no way we can actually highlight the book um, um, in in just one uh, one sitting. You know, we we try to put it into digestible parts. So we take like one section at a time. Um, I think the last one we did was about uh, um, housing and employment. It was ho- no housing and ed- housing and employment. We haven't done education yet. Okay, because uh, there was three factors that that uh, caused uh, riots, you know, in the inner city. Um, it's basically uh, unemployment for your males, especially young black males, and also um, substandard housing. And why the substandard housing actually arose? Because uh, the, the thing is, is the reason that the the black folks crowd into these urban areas is because the the work uh, that they used to do in the rural areas was actually taken up by the uh, by the machines. Uh, by the farming machines, farming equipment, so they had to go somewhere. So they all tried to find work in the urban in the urban areas, and that caused you know the, the standard rift: not enough housing, not enough work, not enough jobs, uh, not enough space. So and and then and then uh, on on the other end, without jobs and and the networks that you had in the rural areas, the family started to break down. So there's a lot of intertwined in, intertwined parts, and, and basically the, the report actually does a very good job of actually going through it. Okay, uh, shout out to Jay Jermaine for that support. Appreciate that. Um, well, we're gonna relate it in a, in a little bit to mm-hmm. you know because you and I have these conversations all the time, but uh, yeah, we're gonna yeah. do it publicly so people yeah, for, can for hours <laughs> for hours. <Right? laughs> we're gonna get into it, and, and so I wanted to give some context to this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this comes out of um, uh, a manuscript that I wrote a number of years ago that I haven't published mm-hmm. um, yet, but I was dealing with a particular concept. And so let me share it if I, if I can. And I believe I can. There it is. All right. So you guys should be able to see that. So this is a Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary, and it is the definition of matripotestal, right? Mm-hmm. Grinch, what's up, man? Good to see you in here. Shout out to Grinch. Appreciate that support. Um, so matripotestal uh, deals with, of, or relating to, or being the power exercised by a matriarch of or her blood relative, right? Uh, dealing with matripotestal authority. Oh, I'll put that in another way. And I'll, I'm going to actually read a section from the manuscript so you can kind of see what I mean by this. So let me uh, get up here. Uh oh, okay. You still there? Did the sound go out? No, I'm here. Oh, okay, you muted it. Okay, I just wanted yeah. to make sure it sounded weird for a second. Okay, so uh um let me see. All right, so I uh, start with a quote. A case which appears to fit a definition of the matricentric family is cited by Yehudi Cohen, nineteen fifty-six. He studied a small community in Jamaica and actually found three family types. Of interest to us, however, is his description of what he calls the matripotestal family. This group is tri-generational and consists of a grandparent, an unmarried woman, and her illegitimate children. The father is completely absent from this household. Now, y'all know we broke down Jamaica in our analysis of Errol Miller's piece on the rise of matriarchy. So this actually goes hand in hand with that, even though they're citing something from 1956 and Errol Miller's papers, 1988, still hand in hand. So thus, 
Thus, the matripotestal consists of multiple generations of females who head their respective families under one primary matriarch, live under the same roof, and pass on family leadership generationally from mother to daughter. Mm. Gynopotestal, then, would refer to collectives of women who live under the same roof or in close-knit social settings where multiple families are primarily dependent on Black women who may or may not have blood ties with one another. Hence, Mm -hmm. even in families where some aspect of it retains a male presence, this generally does not suggest a break from matriarchal status. Um, So what do I mean by that? Well, oh, actually, I want to finish this last part. Robert Staples suggests, even in those family groups where the adult male is present, by virtue of his sociological status as husband and father, the mother's centrality in the family continues to be manifest. She looks after the children, whether the father is there or not. The mother feeds, clothes, and educates them. And it is uh, to her that they turn in um, times of trouble uh, throughout their lives. From the point of view of the children, the mother is dependable. The father is not. Yes. So the shift from matripotestal to gynopotestal is really also a shift to the American situation, the African-American situation. And it has a lot to do with the economic underdevelopment of black men. Mm-hmm. But what it produces is a reliance and security in black women as far as the family structure is concerned. Mm-hmm. Now, I was introduced to this kind of retroactively. I mean, this is something I grew up seeing, but I never really thought it through. And I remember at a certain point, um, I was date. I went on a date. I uh, did one of those, uh, you know, dating sites or whatever. I met this woman. I, le- I learned directly what happens when you close crop pictures and you see people like that on dating sites. I found out oh, why. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, we were going to breakfast or something. I was like, I didn't want to just get up and leave. So we had a conversation. But anyway, in the midst of the conversation, one thing she shared with me was that she and her uh, mother lived fairly close to each other, separate right. house. Her daughter lived fairly close to both of them in her own house. Her sister lived fairly close to them in her own house. And each household had their own kids, their own family members, some of whom were staying temporarily, some on a more permanent basis. And I started to think about this kind of thing. And as I pulled back and really started to have conversations with with scholars, friends, whatever, it became more and more clear that this was a constant feature. This has not been new. And then, of course, when I reflected back into my own history, I've seen this quite a bit in my own family and others uh, where you have this kind of network where almost as satellites, where you have these different households, but they're all headed by women. And there is a hierarchical structure from grandmother to mother to daughter, so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. But it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily relying on the one grandmother figure as head of family per se. She plays that role to an extent, but the women share power. This is why I shifted it from matra to gyno, because it's Mm -hmm. not just about mother. It right. was about female. It was about woman as the leading factor. Abuki, appreciate that support, brother. Hope you're well. And and and, uh, and, 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 and all uh, and, a channel. Go ahead. And the and the elder matriarch is actually more like a, a like executive function. Wait, wait, uh, go ahead. I didn't, the other matriarch. I was gonna say like the like the like granny or the the elder matriarch is like the mm-hmm. the executive function. Okay. You know, she, she's, you know, in other words, if there's if there's something to be decided, they all go to Granny or who the head matriarch is, and said so they get together and they mm-hmm. figure it out. Mm-hmm. But individually, they run their own household. But uh, right. Granny has the influence. It's not like a military structure. No, where she's a general and everyone, you know, everyone else a private. <laughs> it's almost like a franchise. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, very much like a franchise. Mm-hmm. So the the gynopotestal network has to do with that 
dynamic of satellites. And, and, yes. and so if this is the, the, the fundamental basis in many mm -hmm. respects of the black family, you know, we'll go through some charts in a minute to kind of, you know, illustrate what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But this is the base unit of the black yeah. community as, as far as family. Understand that other institutions are built off of it. So whether you're right. talking about church, whether you're talking about organizations, whether they're political organizations, protest based mm -hmm. grassroots organizations, all of these various institutions rely on this gynopotestal framework. So it is mm -hmm. in this respect that the gynocracy is based, you know, it's it, in this kind of structure, because fundamentally, just as Robert Staples has pointed out and what we've heard BGS talk about for several years now is mm -hmm. her economic depend uh, dependability one of right. the main features and this is something mm -hmm. that we've seen really take shape in the 20th century right where the, her economic stability becomes one of the driving factors around her authority mm -hmm. uh, even uh, recently i just played claudine for some of my students in my writing class and we were talking about you know the black family structure and one of the things you could see was the inconsistency the lack of reliability right, even right. portrayed in the film as far as the man is concerned fathers mm -hmm. are concerned um mm -hmm happen from one place to another due to even then early family court policy and the impact it had on many black men, mm -hmm. right? But a very different effect on black women who were yeah. able to barter their position for stability. But, yeah, yeah, that, that, you know, that, it, uh, uh, shortened a male, uh, life, lifespans, you know, because mm -hmm. black men do die earlier, mm -hmm. uh, uh, incarceration work all, all those factors and you know there's not just one factor but uh unemployment is one of the main factors but there's others like uh down south okay unemployment wasn't was an issue with thing is is that um the average lifespan of a black man up until i think was it 1940 was 31 years old mm, damn. so so damn. so mama would have to have you know that she raised her children have to have a series of men to actually step in yeah should have to have a replacement until at least until the children got old enough to where she wouldn't need a replacement. And that's and that's an incredibly important point, because even if we're talking outside of urban areas dealing with welfare issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're, especially if you come from a sharecropping family, if the mm -hmm. women are working domestic work, they're doing domestic mm -hmm. work in whites housing houses, that's more dependable. It is whether or not a crop is going, going to you know have some mm -hmm. kind of success at the market after the season, you know, at the end of the season. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so there's a as far as dependability, there's an early kind of version of it there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's even worse by the time you get to the urban, you know, north. It, it gets worse, and it's, especially like say the the voice was the first one to actually record it in the Philadelphia Negro. He actually noticed it amongst the what he called the uh, the lower um, economic class blacks, where mm -hmm. um, where the where the the the, uh, the mother could all the mother the women could always get work. Are the uh, seamstress? There's uh, service jobs. There was a domestic work. They could always have um, work. Where, but the man, because uh, there was an urban center, was unreliable. And a lot of times, okay, mm -hmm. uh, boss, you didn't get a job. Okay, I got to replace you with somebody else. Right. So, right. And uh, and I want to also mention too, before I forget, the other mm -hmm. aspect to this notion is the role of the male. Right. Especially mm -hmm. if you're talking about sons. Now, well, actually, let's start with fathers. So we got this, you know, satellite structure or as mm -hmm. BJS put it, this franchising structure. Right? <laughs> yes. And I like that shit. <laughs> you're going to franchise. <laughs> That's cold. But anyway, uh, so if you're a man and this is what actually was happening to me on this date, if I had decided 
to pursue this woman further, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew, and we just, you know, she would tell me about other men she dated. So you could kind of see the established spaces or roles for him mm-hmm. in her network. At no mm-hmm. point did she conceptualize moving in with him or falling mm-hmm. into his programming. What right. she talked about as far as dating is what role you would play in mm-hmm. her dynamic. Right? Right. She talked about whether or not a man is worthy of moving into her house now, yes so yes. you already have a power structure in place where you are not going to come in and establish order because mm-hmm. it is her space right mm-hmm. so there's a psychology around who lives with who that even plays into this yeah, right? it does but she would talk about men who moved in and when they didn't uh, you know live up to her standard how mm-hmm. she would put them out their behavior mm-hmm. was inappropriate or if they didn't play the role that she had desta- she had established now she also had kids one of whom was an older son so mm-hmm. she established very early, even in that first conversation with me, the role you would play is as disposable father. You come in, you guide him. Now, mind you, this kid was already over 16 and had been in and out of several juvenile institutions. So right. your job is to come in and, and rein him in, give him right. some guidance. But part of that is also under the perception that, you know, manhood is something you can sprinkle on like seasoning salt. <laughs> it'll be okay. You know, it, you know, and I've tried to tell you, if you want, if I actually was going to play a significant role in a child's life, who right. isn't mine, or hell, even my own child, if we were, if my wife and I were going to get a divorce and separate households, I need to have hands on access to him when he's five. Yes. Don't call me at six. At least, at right. least five. Yeah. I'm not rolling around on the ground with some grown man. No, I got to have him young. But mm-hmm. the idea here in this structure is you can bring men in. And this, mind you, this is going on in each of these various satellite households. Mm-hmm. Bring men in. They play very specific roles. They provide sex, entertainment, a degree of protection, uh, uh, fatherhood as necessary. But financial, financial resources. yeah, Financial resources. But mm-hmm. they are disposable. You do mm-hmm. not have a position etched in stone the moment you do something <laughs> or don't do something that falls under a curve. So let me ask you this, Doc. So, let me ask you this, Doc. So stepdaddies don't get tenure? Oh God! <laughs> oh God! Not at all. There is no, <laughs> there's no tenure. There's no retirement package. If anything, you are her retirement package because if you stay long enough, especially if you marry, you may be on the hook for child support, even for children that aren't yours. Yes. And if not that, of course, there's the option for alimony. But at the end of the day, even while you're there, you're still perceived as a resource. Right. And that's considered tied to your very manhood. So these are all ideas that are kind of linked together in this way and play into your established role. And you play that role until she gives you permission uh, to change it. Or usually would still under her, you know, uh, auspices or you got to go and she'll replace you with another. So in this manifestal framework, Mm -hmm. men are exchangeable. Right. But go ahead. Yeah, that that you know, yeah, uh, there's a very good book. You know, it's not a good book, but it's a decent book by Diane Stewart. You know, she's been you know she's been a professor, been teaching these kind of courses for the last I say twenty years, right? About mm-hmm. the relationships relationships between black men and black women, and uh, she calls it uh, the Africana kinship network, right? Where you have this kind of protestal network of women that are some sometimes blood related sometimes not blood related you know all the aunties and sisters that that uh from from another mother you know that kind of stuff where they're all network and they all kind of form underneath a uh a, a, a guy arc that they respect mm-hmm. and uh she said uh under that kind of framework 
a woman could actually uh, have have children by several different men, married like a uh, what they call it a uh, uh, call it a uh, uh, not a situation, but the thing is, is that uh, uh, what do they call it? They call it um, uh, monogamy, serial monogamy. Okay, mm-hmm. marry this guy, have a kid by him, stay with him, doesn't work out for two three years, divorce. Take the next guy, the next guy, until she finds one that she likes, and that's the one she'll stay with until you know death do us part. Mm. And uh, and she 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 uh, believes that that's the framework for black women. And I think uh, you know uh, what's happening now. Instead of that, what you have is what they call this uh, co-parenting, right? Mm-hmm. Where the woman will have a, a child by a man, whether she marries him or not, and she'll still get the same kind of support of a father from from the child's father. But mm-hmm. she has the options of bringing in other men, right? That she likes, well, which is that, which, which is a, you know, which is a uh, what is it, a, a spin on this kind of protesto network. But the network is still the base. Well, and that's also because at the end of the day, um, mm-hmm. in this framework, it, it, she's the last decision maker. Right. It's, the authority it rests in her, and this is something yes. that that even if it's not said aloud, you're expected to participate in. And I've had several, uh, you know, women actually invite me into that structure. And it's very slick how it can mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. Very slick. It starts with compliments. It starts with affection. But you learn very shortly that the structure you're being invited into is one that you don't have any kind of permanence in. Now, mm-hmm. also, the idea you're talking about comes out of the fictive kin idea that it's, that came out of slavery, which basically has to do with the family not necessarily relying solely on blood membership because, you know, you were on a plantation. You couldn't control who was sold, you know, and who who stayed. That was not mm-hmm. under your purview. Mm-hmm. So fictive kin is really rooted in the notion that whoever really is there and participating mm-hmm. is family. And, and, and I give my students an example of that. I said, if you've ever been to a family reunion, uh, you'll know half the people there, you have no idea how you're related to. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you're in a family like ours where we use a lot of nicknames, mm-hmm. you just know that's Sweet Pea. You just know that's Junebug. You have no idea how y'all are related. Uh, and sometimes you won't understand it when somebody explains it to you, <laughs> you know, but then you often find out you're not related at all. That's a family right. friend that's just been there. Their mother's been there, so on and so forth. And you, your family and under that. Your adopted kin, you know, that's been, right. been uh, uh, positioned inside the network, franchised inside the network. How come this Wendy's doesn't take like that one? Ah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> how come they don't take my coupon? <laughs> how come y'all don't have that? Y'all don't have big ribs. Yeah, big rib. <laughs> they always say that in commercials at a participating. Participating. <laughs> Your your woman does not participate in that in that yes. particular item in the franchise. Yes, and that mm-hmm. comes up if you see her grandmother doing something, and you ask mm-hmm. if she'll do it, like you know, serving a plate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nah, we don't do that at this participating franchise. <laughs> don't do that. You ain't getting your service, food service. <laughs> right. But <laughs> anyway, so you know, <laughs> this the 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 structure does kind of come out of this idea of fictive kin, but it's morphed. Mm-hmm. And it's morphed in a manner that really takes a foothold in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, where you start mm-hmm. to see multiple generations of female-headed households, and the very idea of a male-headed household is considered a no-no. 
is considered um, something not to be talked about or relied upon. Because fundamental, fundamental to this is that black men can't be depended upon. So even if you have one of the younger females in the family come back to the family and say, hey, I'm getting married, and, and they can detect that this is a patriarchal kind of framework, she will be um, chastised mm -hmm. about participating. It'll, it'll, if anything, if they allow her to do it, but they're, you know, they don't really deny, they just kind of pressure. You know, it's a lot of uh, what's called peer pressure in the family. Right. Yes. But the fundamental thing that she'll experience more than anything is the pressure not to do it and the notion, the warning if not the curse, that mm -hmm. this is going to fail because he will not be reliable. Mm -hmm. right? You need to follow our program to ensure your own stability. And that is mm -hmm. a program of making sure that you only bring men in on conditional terms mm -hmm. and that they be immediately released uh, once they've served what role they need to serve. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't want to make sure that that's clear because there is a power structure in this dynamic. It is gynocentric in focus. And they, they are well aware of this long before you are, especially if mm -hmm. you're just dating this woman, you're just getting to know her, you know, you're in the early stage, honeymoon stage, the sex is good, the conversation is good, mm -hmm. but pay close attention to the family structure, pay close attention to the things you're being invited into, because mm -hmm. a lot of the time, if you're dealing with a gynecological, you know, kind of framework, you're being invited to participate on terms where you are on a limited contract. Now, here's, mm -hmm. the, other, here's the other piece to this. You do have males in the family. I talked a little bit about coming in as a husband or a boyfriend. Sometimes you're a long-term boyfriend. Uh, and then of course there are fatherly responsibilities that you're expected to give. And then when you are put out or when you can't take it anymore and you leave, it is of course expected that you continue to parent whether the child is yours or not. What And this might be an adult. You're still right. expected to parent. You're still expected to financially contribute. Mm -hmm. Women will still call you for assistance with repairs and, and, mm -hmm. and various issues that may came, come up, even if it has to do with what something that threatens her household, you may still be called in. In other words, uh, and shout out to Officer Charles. Appreciate that support. You, you may be called in for protection. Yeah. You may be called in for protection. Um, you know, Officer Charles says, I had to tell an ex that I'm frankly Beverly in the maze. I'm the king of Kamehameha of these Hawaiian islands. <laughs> Charles is nuts. <laughs> and he, no tenure for you, sir. <laughs> But essentially, you're mm -hmm. still you're still expected to play husbandly roles without right. the expectation of wifely duties. So right. You're still protecting and providing indefinitely, but the mm -hmm. things that you may require are not mm -hmm. really relevant, right? So mm -hmm. that's the that's the, the the male part of it. The other aspect of the male experience is when you're a son, and mm -hmm. you're a son that that is living in this kind of protestal framework. And what you'll often find, and this happens to boyfriends slash husbands as well. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a kind of son-husband component to this. There is. Yes. Um, yeah. You are still expected to play out traditional uh, husbandly roles as a son. Yeah. Yep. And you're, now here's the, here's the, here's the main component, component to it too. You might be bartered out to yes. not only other members of your gynecological network, but other networks depending mm -hmm. on the women in conversation with one another. In other words, mm -hmm. you as her son, Right. Your mm -hmm. grandmother has her household. Your aunt has her household. Your sister might be developing her household. Mm -hmm. like a lot of the time, these brothers are, are not consistently employed. They haven't completed their education. They're still very dependent and they're mm -hmm. socialized to be very. I think they're hamstrung on purpose. Yeah, that's what I mean. They're socialized mm -hmm. to be dependent in many ways. Mm -hmm. So the women will take off into their lives. The men tend to be very dependent on mama. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but 
when it comes to lifting things, moving things, repairing things, uh, you know, transporting things, providing temporary protection, mm -hmm. you might be bartered out not only to other women in the family, but mm -hmm. you might find that a friend of your mother's who has her mm -hmm. own network, you might be sent to her house to provide mm -hmm. services. You mm -hmm. might be sent to her child's house to provide services. And yes, mm -hmm. those services can even include sex. Mm -hmm. This is not necessarily something that your mother, you know, has to directly, you know, determine. But it is acceptable that if mm -hmm. you're providing resources to some gynecological network that is close to yours, that if sex comes up, that is a feature that comes with it if they want to use it. And sometimes, you know, depending on, you know, the, uh, uh, how um, <laughs> how dependent you are, they will actually pick somebody out of the network to for you to mate with, to, for you to be with. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. The, the first approval and disapproval is not the father. OK. Yeah. About who, yeah. who you can be with, who you can't be with or who you can uh, uh, date. OK. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. OK. It's, it lies within the network. And you will be shamed if you bring in a woman that's not part of the network. You will actually be yeah. shamed. OK. And, and, it, and it can actually, you, there's a lot of these things that can play out in a lot of different ways. I remember that there was a, a friend of my mother's, you know, mm -hmm. she'd known for years. And she, and my mother told me this, she asked my mother if she could sleep with me. Mm. And my mother's response was kind of like, well, if you can get it, you can get it. You know, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, she okay. didn't say it that way, but that was her basic response. Uh, you know, yeah. if, you can, if you can get it, you can get it. Now, understand the difference in this. Mm -hmm. You and I are boys. And matter of fact, mm -hmm. you have daughters. Mm -hmm. At what point, if, especially if I've been around since your child was a little girl, at what point can I ask you to date your daughter as your boy? Never. Years, she was a little girl. She's now an adult. She's 18, 17, 18. And I'm going to ask you permission to have sex with your daughter. How's that going to go? Uh, No, it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. And I might have to, to watch out because BGS might be looking for me. You know what I mean? Like that, even the request is out of pocket. It's out of pocket, yes. It's out, it's out of pocket. You know, men understand this, but mm -hmm. that's not necessarily how that works in this framework, right? You know, because sex is one of the features that mm -hmm. young men are, are expected to provide, particularly to not only older women, but women mm -hmm. in established positions in this kind of protestable framework. You may mm -hmm. not have that kind of stability in your own life, but mm -hmm. even moving from one at your mother's house to a woman's house to another mm -hmm. woman's house, these are features of someone yeah. who's been socialized into that. Yeah. And, 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 okay. and if you ever, uh, I just thought of something. If mm -hmm. you ever, uh, we call them homosexuals, right? Where they mm -hmm. move from one woman to the next, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and we always look at it as, uh, imagine that the man is in charge of, of moving, you know, you know, using women as a resource, right? Mm -hmm. Never look at it the other way that the women are actually sharing him as a resource. That's yes. And that is one of the things I'm saying. We have all seen uh, mm -hmm. what we call uh, home. What do you call it? Uh, what do you call it a second ago? Uh, homosexuals. homosexuals. And we laugh about it. We dismiss it in hell. In many spaces, we chastise men that participate in it. Yeah, yeah. But at no point do we actually think about whether or not these young men have been conditioned, conditioned. into it. Uh, if you look at, uh, go back and look at the, the movie Baby Boy with Therese. Yes. Okay? He was actually yes. shared by three women. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Including his mother. Absolutely. Hold on. Let me let me shout out uh, Dr. CD2. Appreciate that support. Uh, Sam C, thank you for that, and appreciate that, Drew Maine, uh, for uh, for the support. That's an excellent example. If you look at Baby Boy, 
You're seeing a grown man that still lives with his mother who mm-hmm. goes from his house to his girlfriend's house. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But the other twist that is he pointed out when she, you know, she talked to him about how he wasn't growing up. He wasn't living in his own house. She said, you never lived in your own house. This is mama's house. You just inherited mm-hmm. it from her. He mm-hmm. was pointing out the gynopotestal framework. And for her mm-hmm. response to him was basically, if I remember correctly, she kind of ignored the point. But the mm-hmm. reason she could ignore the point is it's perfectly acceptable because mm-hmm. she's a, she's a, she's in charge of her own household. And when her mother passes, inheriting that house is fine. That's mm-hmm. part of what's expected of her role. But you as a young man are conditioned to play out a very specific set of roles. And so th- this, this is really what this speaks to. And, and it has standing in some of the statistics we're going to look at, because at the end of the day, we want to make sense of how this comes about, because, you know, trying to get people to shift their view from just punishing men, that's right. looking at how this starts in early childhood, mm-hmm. right? in early childhood. You actually have to start that early to understand how some of this goes. Some of the reports that I've shown you about mother confidence, confidence and boys academic achievement even when boys are achieving more right. than girls oh, yeah mothers still yeah. have low, black mothers in particular will have low confidence in boys and the impact that has is yeah. really lowers performance you know, which is interesting because somebody i think it was um uh, uh mike michael in um uh, in, uh, in austin texas it was actually for the study that i actually did uh, actually did, did a video on right um I, the video was i think it was uh do uh, 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 do white women make uh, uh, better mothers for black boys, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the study found out that uh, just by just by uh, t- giving a black boy a different mother, right, raises IQ points 15, 15 to twenty percent, fifteen to twenty points. In other words, they 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 did studies on uh, adopted and foster foster kids, uh, foster boys who were actually raised had a had a, a Caucasian mother, right? And what they found out is that when they changed the mother, the black boy, after a couple of years, did just as well as the white boy did as far as IQ and studies and, and, home, and all that kind of stuff. And this and that's not a biological issue. She doesn't no. come from a culture that promotes a gynecological framework. Right. The, the confidence and the social expectation of boys is different yes. and another dynamic. But in our culture, service is, mm-hmm. a, is, a, is a feature of the male role, the expectation of a particular type of service. Subservience. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. This is why when I talked about the CompuServe, that's where this comes from. This mm-hmm. is not an individual that comes out of context entirely. This is an individual that comes out of a social structure mm-hmm. where girls are rewarded for mm-hmm. being able to achieve and, ex- and expand their lives. Mm-hmm. Boys are kind of socially rewarded for service. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody goes to college and all the girls. No, this could this can happen uh, uh, among a, a variety of people on on welfare. Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you go back to Claudine, for example, right? You saw the beginning of a gynecological network in that. If you remember the film, her oldest teenage daughter is pregnant by the end yes. of the film. Yes. And Claudine is talking to her daughter about how the man she loves is going to leave her. Yep. He's not going to be financially reliable and she's going to end up on welfare, staying in a project just like Claudine. Mm-hmm. In other words, she's she's preparing her for the fact that you're just going to be another woman with your own household of children 
Mm-hmm. That's not going to be able to rely on a man, but you'll be dependent on welfare. Even if you never go to college, you never, and you'll be working under the table for extra cash, but this is the network. And mm-hmm. from there, Claudine's daughters and sons can also go over to her daughter's house. Mm-hmm. Her daughter's children can also come over. There's kind of a sliding, mutual, yeah. mutual you know, beneficial relationship there, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of plays into this dynamic. And so I'm just kind of, you know, I'm saying we've seen examples of this. BGS raised baby boy. We can go back yeah. to Dean. We've mm-hmm. seen examples of this, but we never framed it. We just kind of took it as, you know, so we'll get our analyses. will cover bits and pieces of it. We talk about single motherhood. You know, we talk about homosexuals, but these things are connected in a very mm-hmm. particular way. Um, yes, sir. Appreciate that support. Hope I didn't mispronounce, brother. Um, yeah. So I just want to kind of frame it so we understand what we're looking at. This is not something in isolation that only affects certain individuals. This is a cultural prerogative. Uh, Mogul Maze, appreciate that support. This is a cultural, uh, and this is something we pass on, as Abuki mm-hmm. says in the comments. It's a program narrative. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. Dunbar talks about it. You know, he he's going through it. He, in fact, he did a video today about uh, the lack of uh, real male role models uh, in Buffalo, where he grew up. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the same thing. You know, he mm-hmm. went he went through the same kind of guy on a protesto network mm-hmm. where, 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 the, where it's a bunch of women. You know, auntie, mother, uh, 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 mother's female friends. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and but we're so used to it that for us it's just it's just normal. It's just life. Oh yeah, we're defended to our death. In fact, uh, uh, my neighbor uh, um, was talking about his 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 granddaughter, right? Uh, sending her back to school to get her master's in business or uh, MBA, and uh, he's he, something he said that I've heard many many times. Okay, uh, okay, men are indep- uh, undependable, you know, uh, so you have to give. Girls as much education as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the crux of it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share. I'm going to put some charts up that we can kind of tear into, so we can see how some of this ha- has been structured. Hopefully, Streamyard is going to work with me. Okay, so this uh, we'll go with this. All right. So um, you know, this is the first one I'm gonna put up dealing with employment, 25 to 64. Uh, now, I, now, I would argue that uh, this would be better served if, if it went younger than 25. I think there would be some elements in this that we need to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it should be like the uh, labor statistics are always 15, starts at 15 years old. That would be ideally wait. better, but we'll, mm-hmm. you know, we'll work with this. So mm-hmm. you can see on the right column, you have all the USA for men and women, and you can see the black community on the left. So you can compare what, what the majority is doing to, you know, in contrast to the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see uh, on the left when we're dealing with women, mm-hmm. right, there are slightly more women that are employed than all women, mm-hmm. and then there, you know, you have a a slightly larger population of unemployed than all women. Um, you have a, a a slightly smaller population of women not in the labor force. So remember when they say unemployed, that generally doesn't count people who aren't even looking for work. They're they're classified more as not in the labor force. So there's a difference between unemployed and not in the labor force at all. Um, so, so you can kind of see the relationship between women and all women. But when you look at men, right, a lower population of black men that are employed, slightly higher population of black men that are unemployed, and a slightly higher population of black men that are not in the labor force with 1% in the military. 
Sam C, appreciate that. Appreciate that support. Sam C says, "How does this compare to the one to fifty blacks as millionaires?" The thing is, how, how do you when you say millionaires? Uh, how do you count their money? Because uh, say if you have a, a a house or a couple of houses in uh, in in Los Angeles, you're a millionaire right. on paper. So the thing is, how do you count it? How do they count it? So like I said, the devil's in the details. You can't can't throw out a stat and leave it by itself. So you have to see. Uh, how do they count it? How do they how do they actually account for millionaires? Do, is it making a million dollars a year? No, that's like I mean, we go by income more than anything else. How much do you make a year? Okay. Because if you go by wealth, that changes the discussion. That changes the discussion. Yeah, it does. Now, let me show you how that question relates to the to the notion of the Ghana protestable. Over ninety okay. percent of black mm-hmm. millionaires by wealth are elders, often widows, that mm-hmm. have a pension and a home that they own. They're not liquid, right? They have a pension. And a home. Shout out to ADOS. That's you know where a lot of that data was introduced. But over ninety percent of our millionaires, in terms of wealth, mm-hmm. have a home and a pension. Now, yeah. now, this is mostly with Big Mama. You know, Big Papa, yeah. or, or Papa died twenty years ago, thirty years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. The house that he had, that he died uh, providing, she lives in. And, and so when I talked about the grandmother or sometimes even the great grandmother, nah, usually, the, well, depending on your age, but mm-hmm. often the great grandmother lives with grandma, that whole kind of thing being taken care of. The grandmother as big mama who has the house, the central house we all go to on Thanksgiving, we all go mm-hmm. to family events. That house was often sacrificed for by Papa. You know, hell, even if you watch Last Days with Ptolemy Gray, he has a pension from working at the post office. This mm-hmm. is, you know, you know, I don't have to tell you about black men working government jobs and retiring mm-hmm. with a pension. Mm-hmm. Right? That's actually actually often the foundation of the Ghana Protesto framework because the 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 grandmother, you know, the the elder woman in the family whose household is considered the the family's household, the family the, the place we go to to celebrate events and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that people call when there's a problem and they need direction. Right. Right. That household right. was often provided for by a man, mm-hmm. at least in some significant fashion, even though he does. He's never really had decision making say, mm-hmm. but his sacrifice often plays a significant role in that the status of that. So, again, going back to the notion that over 90 percent of our, our, our millionaires are widowed uh, older women mm-hmm. with pension in a house that tells you something about the gynopotestal framework. Because if we look at that woman, not just from a, a, a wealth position, but actually look at her from a kind of a sociological standpoint, that's the basis, even in a millionaire, that's the basis of the Ghana Protestal Network. And when she dies, the family goes through all kind of hell, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. People yeah. fighting over the house, fighting over, you know, stealing jewelry, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they can as she's sick. You know, this is where all the family infighting comes in mm-hmm. about who's going to take her resources. And even if the family splits apart, you still have split apart female headed households. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember, remember the movie in the series uh, Soul Food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though they were married, mm-hmm. guess who Guess who ran? That's the Ghana Protesto Network, even though they all had husbands. Mm-hmm. But they all mm-hmm. had their houses, they all had their jobs. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and even after Big Mama died, they still formed the uh, Ghana Protesta Network. They they were in charge of of saying what went on in that family, what didn't. Yeah, and most of the men played very subservient roles. Mm-hmm. Very subservient. And I didn't have the language for it at the time, but I kept looking at that like, what the hell? 
what is this? Each woman kind of ran their household, you know, in the same kind of way. Uh, mm-hmm. Vanessa Williams playing the preeminent 92, <laughs> according to how Brother BGS would break that down, uh, went through several husbands. Mm-hmm. Right? They may have left. She may have put them out, but she stayed in her house the mm-hmm. entire time. They came and went at her discretion. Right. So this is kind of what we're looking at. But in terms of employment, you can kind of see even even though it's not as dramatic because keep in mind, this is a very specific age sample. It's still mm-hmm. kind of you can still see the instability in terms of of how men are positioned and how women are positioned. Right. Any thoughts about this before I move on? Anything you want to add? No, I mean, the, thing, the one thing you want to what you, that you notice, right, uh, is uh, is the white women, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, white women um, in 1960 was only were only in the labor force like uh, by 11 percent. Okay, mm-hmm. it was you know uh, fast forward they've uh, not only surpassed black women, which who have always been in the labor force, but the thing is, uh, um, they surpassed black men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, black men used to be in the labor force a lot more, but black women, white women, actually uh, took the place. To be, you know, we being like almost like in second place, uh, about right behind uh, white men. Okay. Okay. Uh, hold on. Will B drops uh, some information. He said the data is not totally correct based on Darity's book. Keep in mind too, though, this is based on 2017 data, which is older than that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it, it, this doesn't, for example, take into account the pandemic. You know, so it'd be interesting to see those kind of numbers. But, 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 but the thing is, Darity is not Darity's reading from the same source. Okay, look at the bottom. It says U.S. Bureau of, of Labor Statistics. Sure, sure. That is that is a source. Okay, that's your source. That is the ultimate source. That's where everybody gets their stats from. But Darity I, is a secondary source. But the reason I'm highlighting this though, the mm-hmm. time period, is because mm-hmm. we're going to hear this on every chart we cover. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be a question of well, how to interpret it. And I want you to know that this kind of data is very specific you got to be very careful about what you look at on the chart 25 mm. to 64 is a very specific time frame it is the years involved very specific you know yeah. the gender race very specific so mm. you can look at a chart that that very that slightly shifts one factor and it'll be extremely different right so i just want to be very particular to that um you know and sometimes just by year it's going to be a whole different dynamic. Yeah, but, but but you can go to Black Demographics and look it up yourself. It's not yeah. something that uh, that we came up with. And I'm sharing Black Demographics today for a reason. I signed on to support. I think they only request $1.99 a month. And as yeah. many people rely on them, they deserve the support. And I support, you know, uh, such a website because it, by providing information to us, it gives mm-hmm. us a better opportunity to analyze what's going on in our own community. So, so shout out to BlackDemographics.com. Support them, become a monthly member. It's only $1.99, but I think they are they are deserving of it, and it helps them uh, improve the quality of the reports that they're able to produce. Because they're going through quite a bit of data. So here's another chart. This is dealing with, uh, some of you follow me on Facebook, saw me post this, dealing with Generation X. So again, I want to be very particular. This is mm-hmm. Generation X. This is not the silent generation. These are not the boomers. It's not the millennials. So you're going to see slight variations. Uh, with that, but this is dealing with single black men and women ages 41 to 55. Mm-hmm. So this does not encapsulate all black people or even all Generation X. It's age 41 to 55. So in case there's a slight age variation, like one year could change the numbers on this report. 
you know, if they change one, if they decide they were going to do, you know, 41 to 59, there would, mm -hmm. these numbers would change. So I just want to kind of put that out there. Uh, when it comes to this type of data, it, it changes. Now, I would have made this left to right. They did it right to left. Okay. Basically, what they're showing is no income on the far right. And then when you get to the far left, it's $100,000 uh, and up, right? So this is average yearly salary. This is not wealth. This is not what you own. This is not what you're worth. This is strictly salary. And what you can see in this for Generation X, age 41 to 55, right? Uh, 1 million, 1.4 million black folk have no income. Slightly mm -hmm. more men than women. So if you look at it, the dark gray are men, the lighter gray are women, right? So when it comes to, to black men, 41 to 55, you have slightly more, about 40,000 more that have no income, mm -hmm. 1.4 million. That is that is almost, that there is slightly the majority of black folk at that age range. That's slightly the majority. Second group, under 20,000 a year, 692,000 people, but you find 151,000 more women that earn under 20,000 a year. Okay? That's what we're looking at. Um, 20 to 50,000 a year, you have 1.3, almost 1.4 million people with 311,000 more women earning between 20 and 50 a year than men. Right? So you can kind of see that other chart playing out here a little more specifically, right? And then by the time you get to the 50 to $100,000 range, you can see that there are 151,000 more women than men that earn in that range. Now, obviously, this doesn't account for uh, under the table slash illegal income, so on and right. so forth. This is a specific population, right? Rick Simmons, appreciate that support. Yeah, thank you for that. So 834,000 in total, 151,000 more women earning between 50 and 100,000 than men. And then when you get over 100,000, only 5% of this population is over 100,000. And I want us to let that sink in because men hear this all the time, that they're supposed to make over 100 to be worthy. Right. And women who make over 100 tend to be bragging about it, showing that they can do it. And thus it becomes a shaming tactic for many men. Uh, so regardless of who you're hearing it from, it's usually a slap in the face to men. But only 5% of Black America in this age range mm -hmm. is, is earning 100000 And isn't it interesting how much of our self-worth is determined based on 5% of the population? Because mm -hmm. mind you, it's not just 100000 It's 100000 and up. So this includes all the, the, the millionaire on the basis of salary, this, you know, all of those people, uh, the Oprahs, the, the basketball player, anybody in the age range, I should say. Um, or retired athletes or entertainment, anybody in that age range in the black community fall in that 5%. Right. Everybody you've ever seen on a movie screen or TV in that age range is in that 5%. And you see that there are slightly more, there's about 35,000 more women than men that earn 100,000 and up. Yeah. Any thoughts about this? Yeah, well, number one, there there's going to be slightly more women still alive, you know, in that age range. Mm. Yeah. Because, so, so the thing is, is that uh, I think by the time you get to 41, you know, in, in the 40s, especially, I think there's a, I think there's a, 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 a I think the, the ratio of men to women, I think is like, I think is like, uh, it's down like almost like 37%. Mm. You, know, it's, it's, you know, in other words, uh, there's, there's four, like, there's like a 
10-15% difference between the amount of men that are still alive versus women. So we have to take that into account. There's not as many men still alive. Well, uh, first of all, shout out to Black Vulcan uh, for that support. I love that name, taking me back to the <laughs> Super Friends. <laughs> That's what's up, Black Vulcan. Um, but, you know, it, it, I got to say, one of the reasons I love doing these shows with BGS is he'll drop something. I'm like, are you going to have me open up the top 10 causes of death? <laughs> what, I'm saying, what I'm saying is when, when you look at numbers, because they're not doing percentages, they're looking at numbers. Uh, right. amounts of people so when you look at raw numbers you got to understand that the the populations aren't the same it's not a 50 50 uh divide in population mm-hmm. so you t- you're taking uh generation x you're taking 4.5 million uh, uh people thing is what's the ratio of men to women in that population so there's factors in it but it's still telling oh, um, it is. You, you look look at the the largest uh the largest uh uh, uh uh, group in this in this whole chart is uh, no income, which is thirty one percent. Yes, absolutely. It's, large, it's the largest group, and that and that's why when you look under the data, uh, under twenty one thousand a year, mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're already talking about forty six percent of Black mm-hmm. America. So between no income and under twenty one thousand a year, and and you can see this playing out in other charts too, especially those mm-hmm. that deal with familial income, multiple mm-hmm. incomes under one household. You're still dealing with over forty percent of black folk earning less than twenty thousand, all the way through no income at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah, uh, cl- uh, working class, lower working class, and, all, and almost poverty. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's almost, that's almost half of half of that group. Now, I, I I posted in my community tab the top ten causes of death for black men and women. I had a lot of response on Facebook, a lot of response on uh, on Instagram and mm-hmm. Twitter and YouTube about it. So I might pull that up and we'll play it because all of this, I'm not showing this just for us to look at numbers. I'm showing this to show you how the gyna framework is backed by materiality, backed mm. by numbers, right. right? When you look at this, the only place where you really see men outperforming women is when it comes to no income. Right. You know, and this is my generation. This is 41 to 55 years old, 4.5 million people. You're still dealing with black men in a position where no income is the only numbers that are the only numbers that that, that they dominate here. Um, so so again, when you look at the gynecological framework, that's fitting, right? Because those mm-hmm. those no income black males that we're talking about, those are the homosexuals. Those are the ones that are living with mama. Those uh, are the uh, ones that are bartered around town for uh, time or, or homeless or, or, or homeless. Uh, yes, or, or, or hustling till they die. You know. Yes. Uh, you know, the guy, the guy comes in and, and, and puts in a door or, or changes out your hot water heater. He's got to yes. go from, from place to place, you know, yes. in his old truck. And he's like mm-hmm. 70 because he can't mm-hmm. retire. Yes, sir. Gotta, yeah, yes, sir. I know men shining shoes in their 70s, mm-hmm. no health care in their 70s, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, but and with cancer, mm-hmm. you know, but they're still grinding. Right. Um, now, this is the, the bottom half of the same chart. And this mm-hmm. is educational attainment. And again, this is uh, this is uh, uh, right to left. Right. Mm-hmm. So it starts out with less than a high school diploma. And if you look closely at it, you can see that black men have more numbers that have mm-hmm. less than a high school diploma. And this is an interesting little factoid. Black men actually have more uh, as far as diplomas or GEDs than black women. Yeah. A, a lot of that, I would argue, is GED. GED, yeah. You know, which is which is fine. It just means that in terms of college access, uh, GEDs don't necessarily lend themselves to that. So, yeah, and, I, and also, and also, it means that uh, uh, 
but you weren't properly taught in high school if you got to go back and G- get a GED. Uh-oh. So, oh, which which, <laughs> which means you have to go back, but it also means you're not in the pipeline for higher higher education. For higher education, yeah, that's reserved for for women for the most part. And 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 even though it may not seem as such, because if you look at some reports, you can see well, there's a significant number of black males going to college. It's not like you know mm-hmm. a million black women and three black men, you know. Keep in mind that if you go back to 1976 all the way to now, mm-hmm. have charts on this as well. Black men literally have half the degrees black women do in terms of college degrees. So, oh, actually, uh, from from associates all the way through graduate school, we literally have half the degrees black women do. So, even when you see more black men going to college now, that is a recent phenomenon. If you're looking at the last 50 years, and so we're behind for a reason. We are we were never conceptualized to be in the pipeline for no. higher education. No, or education, period. The, the, the thing is that the, if it wasn't for uh, the 60s and civil rights, you would still be, uh, uh, most of your black men would never even graduate high school. Yeah. And most of your black men would never uh, even get past the eighth grade. Yeah. And that, and that has been by design since uh, since slavery. In fact, the Mohawk Conference, uh, even in, in 1890, they said the women need to be educated because they need to do the bills and run the household and raise the children, right? Better educated children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we say black men didn't uh, need to know how to uh, write because it was unnecessary for their job. Mm-hmm. And that was that, you know, and that kind of perpetuated itself until until the morning report. He said, okay, uh, without an edu- proper education, these men cannot move into higher jobs like right. uh, like factory jobs and working for Ford or whatever, right? Because they didn't know how to read. So they had to redo that. And then when you transfer in the late 70s into a system where middle class access is dependent on college yeah. degrees, you yeah, start yeah. to see that black men are being strategically shifted out of the elevation right. of the middle class. Now we're going through another wave of that where it's not just college degrees, it's STEM fields. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're coming out of a dynamic where you're unable to read, if you're at a mm-hmm. 10% literacy rate and a 12% yeah math and, and science rate by the time you're in the eighth grade you mm-hmm. are already pivoted out mm-hmm. of being able to compete mm-hmm. at, a, at a at a high level so when we see this chart and shout out to jeff sakala uh for the, the generous uh 99 gen- uh, donation appreciate that um um when you see that 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 the first two markers where black men are actually have higher numbers in terms of less than a high school diploma mm. or a diploma or GED, that's where you can see us literally being phased out. So even if mm. you say, well, we don't need a college degree, we could just work STEM, we could just work, understand something. You need to be able to read and do math, mm-hmm. be competitive in the STEM realm. And if yeah, our yeah, K-, yeah. K through 12 experience does not generally lend to that. It, it, the thing is, is that it's not just uh doing math and reading it's also being able to problem solve and do and solve logic problems okay mm-hmm. that's where the education comes in and you cannot learn that in, in a couple of years you cannot learn that uh at a, at a community college you can't learn that in four years it, t- it, it takes it takes development in your mind in, in your brain over time but i want to go back to something you said a while ago Mm-hmm. When you talked about, uh, you know, we were, and I saw this, uh, I saw that article a couple of years ago where you were talking about white women as mothers, mm-hmm. the GP, uh, not just the GPA, the IQ points actually going up for black males. Right. Um, and Cozy, appreciate that membership. Welcome to the Onyx Brotherhood. I want to be clear, right? It, it, the difference is not just because, you know, 
white women just biologically cast off brilliance to anybody in no. their vicinity. It's strictly because they have a different cultural orientation that is predicated right. on promoting males as opposed mm -hmm. to uh, conditioning them for servitude, conditioning right. them for lower level performance. That confidence, that expectation, that 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 support is mm -hmm. what generates an improved performance in young mm -hmm. men. So when we look at these charts and we talk about the low levels of graduation from high school and or college and really, you know, in terms of a diploma, not a GED, that could be reversed if we were talking about invested confidence in young men. But we're not necessarily seeing that. So I just want to put that in context. This is not to say that black men could not perform, but it mm -hmm. is to say they're not being supported to in the same fashion. The mm -hmm. emphasis is on the girls. The yeah. So uh, if we look at some college uh, to no degree, some college with no degree, right? We see uh, the, the, the second largest population there with over a million. And uh, black women outnumber black men by 211,000. And that's because black men aren't even going to college in the same numbers. So women who are going but don't finish are still going to outnumber black men. Then uh, mm. you have the associate's degree, right? And you can see about, what, 138,000 more women with the associate's degree. And then we get to the bachelor degree through doctorate, right? bachelor or higher. And we see uh, over 349,000 more women than men. And again, this is 41 to 55 year olds, right? Um, shout out to BL. BL says, wow, that's deep. We see that a lot today where girls are taught to pursue education, black girl black magic, yeah. black boys are mocked for it. Education. That is true. It's another part of the uh, culture. Yeah. Absolutely. So I just want to kind of I wanted you to see educationally. So we saw it in terms of income, what could produce, right, the Ghana Potesto framework. We are also seeing it in terms of education. You are not expected to perform well academically, academically, academic, high level academic performance. It, it, it lends itself to independence. They don't want black men independent. No. They want you to now if you if you're going into trade crafts and you're earning over six figures, that's okay. But again, are your resources being primarily focused on women? Mm. Are you are you providing that network for the men? Right. Uh Black Vulcan appreciate that support again. You know. Um so you know that that's kind of the framework. You're not expected to perform. Uh, academically, you're just expected to work. You're expected to bring in an additional mm -hmm. income. You know, in some mm -hmm. families, it's okay if it's just fast food, if it's whatever, but you still bring your check home. You you, yeah. you take care of resources yeah. in the home. You, you, you pay you pay a bill, you know. Right. Yeah. A bill a, or a set of bills, but at her discretion. You know, at her discretion, yeah. That's how that works. Um, now we're going to get to millennials. 25 to 40 years old. We're talking about 7.6 million. So there's already an increased population, right? Because the other, the, 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 the um, Gen X one was about four and a half million people. So this is 7.6 million. Mm -hmm. You see, you see a similar dynamic, uh, although a little different in, in key areas. Again, right to left, no income at all. We're looking at average salary, not wealth, 25 to 40 year olds, right? The men have a higher level of no income, right? Under 20,000, women have about 168,000 more, more women who earn under 20,000. So men outpace women only in terms of no income. Women outpace men. Well, that's not true. And you'll see why in a minute. Uh, so mainly in terms of no income, 
but uh, under 20,000 is majority women. That also goes for 20 to 50,000 majority mm-hmm. women. By about 300,000 people, more women earn between 20 and 50,000 than men. Mm-hmm. When we get to the 50 to 100,000 range, we see slightly more women, about 12,000, 12 and a half thousand more women that earn between 50 and 100,000. Now, this is a slight twist, not a lot of people. Right. It, whereas if for Gen X, it was about 5% that earned 100,000 and up. And for, for millennials, it's about 2%. Yeah. If you actually have men outnumbering women by about 10.7,000 earning 100,000 and up. Now, across the board, if we collapse all age categories, there are more men that earn six figures than women. But I suspect a lot of that has to do with boomers. Mm, yeah, it does. <clears throat> and and that goes back to the whole pension discussion we had earlier and that whole kind of thing. But that's worth. That's not income. So anyway, um, what we can see here is that, you know, for millennials, uh, one of the differences is that over 100,000, there are slightly more males that earn that than females. But at the end of the day, you only have 170,000 millennials earning over 100,000 a year. And I think it's important because, again, if men are told that their value is in whether or not they earn six figures, if you're between 25 and 40, ain't but 2% of the black community as a whole that earns that. Mm-hmm. But at some point, there are a lot of women that are going to actually have to reconsider their numbers because they're buying for 2% of the population, or actually less than 2 because 2% is split between men and women. Mm-hmm. They're either going to have to go older in age or go interracial. And there are problems with both. Most, most black women don't want to date older men. Uh, most, most women do not want to date outside of a... Uh three-year age range plus or minus yeah and then if you start talking about interracial you know I don't, there's not a whole lot of groups looking for black women i mean i don't mean to be any one but it is what it is so you know this is, so the reality is you either improve your ability to compete for high level men or you adjust your expectations to everyday men who uh, and and you know not only look at what they're able to create in their own world but what kind of stability they offer internally but mm-hmm. you're going to have to make a change, and that's the reality of it. So this is millennials as far as salary. Anything mm-hmm. you want to add to this before I move on? No, no, no. I mean, uh, the thing is, is that you know, as uh, as we go go down to the uh, uh, you know go down toward the, the millennials and disease, uh, the guy protection network has less and less effect on them. Mm. Well, especially at the hundred thousand dollar hundred thousand dollar level, right? But if you look. If you look at the twenty, twenty-two, a hundred thousand dollar range, you still have more women earning that in each category. Yeah, yeah. You know, but so but the, but the, but the bars have narrowed. The bars have narrowed, Def, definitely. Uh, let's look. Okay, so we're going to go down to educational attainment. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only two areas where you see males outperforming females are less than a high school diploma or between high school diploma and GED. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of that is GED. Yeah. Right. So you, you, have both you, need, you need a GED to get into those, uh, um, what do they call it, uh, trade programs. Right. Right. So here we are. Now, when you talk about, again, col- some college, but no degree through associates, through bachelors, you know, majority female, mm-hmm. right? 167,000 more women that have some college but no degree, about 132,000 more women that have an associate's, and about 354,000 more women that have a bachelor's. 
and yes, as Prodigy says in the in the tab, the reason I show these charts is you are welcome to to uh, screenshot it, but you can also go to blackdemographics.com and see it there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you uh, see the dynamic playing out there. We still have a low emphasis on education for boys, and again, you can see the replication of the role we're exp- mm-hmm. expected to play across generations mm-hmm. in the gynecological framework. Yep. Uh, you want to tackle this one, sir? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obesity uh, rates on, ba- on on the basis of race and sex. Uh, well, the thing is, is that the, one the, the reason you see such a big skew, uh, uh, especially where um, uh, uh, where black women actually the most obese, is because uh, uh, black men have uh, less say in how their women actually look. Mm-hmm. We have to accept them as they come. Uh, a little less so as far as Hispanic, but as you go across from white to that to uh, Asian, um, you see that drop because there's no pressure on black women to look a certain way. Right. Right. Asian. A, oh, the Asian mother will will actually uh, get after her daughter if she starts to be obese. Oh man, they get blunt. They are they, blunt. Yeah. They're you blunt. are fat. You will not get a husband. I'd be like, ooh, damn. Yeah. you're too fat to get a husband that's you know an asian mother will tell her her, her daughter that oh man you know you, you're eating too much i mean the asian mother will keep her daughter in check about how much she eats her weight exercise all that kind of stuff right now notice in the white community the rates of obesity are about the same 38 mm-hmm. percent for men and women mm-hmm. but in every other community there tend to be more women that uh, are more obese than men with the black community leading everybody in terms mm-hmm. of 55% of black women being more obese, uh, 37% of black men. But there, what's interesting to note is that uh, black men, there are fewer of us that are obese than there are Hispanic and white men. That's, you know, something to yeah, note. Yeah, I mean, well, because, because uh, uh, black women do not want fat, you know, for the most part, uh, will shame black men for being fat and won't pick them. So they want, they, they want the, uh, uh, as Ron Wills calls, the alpha showpiece. They want yeah. their men to be fit. Yeah. You know, because yeah. because they're the object of desire. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the reason that I show this in relation to this whole conversation about the gynecological framework is that one of the shifts that takes place in this is that the very aesthetic of womanhood is no longer tied to what men are attracted to. Right. In other words, we're told accept what we feel like giving. Take or mm-hmm. or we usually hear it. Take me as I am. Yeah. Now, you are not going to be taken as you are, you know, you know, and take this from a brother who's losing weight. And, and, and <laughs> not not going to be taken as you are. Uh, unconditional for th- unconditional for them. Mm-hmm. Not for you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what did black men do? We, we learned to find what was available appealing. Mm-hmm. We, we support terms like thick and whatever, you know, all kinds of yeah. found ways to enjoy, as it were. Um, but but here's the thing. Their aesthetic was never crafted around our interests. So even, and you'll hear, you've heard, even in the last few weeks, we've heard celebrities, women don't dress for men. We don't dress yeah. for you. We dress for ourselves. We dress for mm-hmm. each other. Most yeah. other groups, the very definition of femininity and its expression aesthetically is tied to what men are interested in. Right. You know, that's not the case in many respects in the black community. You're told to accept what is presented. You're right. not consulted on whether or not you like we, it. We, yeah, which is tied, which which is why the Ghana Protestant Network is what it is, right? It's basically 
uh, the women literally, literally have the male role. Right. They determine uh, yes. the aesthetic. Um, mm -hmm. They determine who makes the wealth, who gets educated. And, uh, and so, so men, men are literally put in the same category as white women. Yeah, very much so. Depending. I mean, and, and you, if you, if you doubt it, think about this, just think about the scenario. It doesn't have to be your exact family, but think about the scenario. Can you tell your girl or wife, she needs to lose 50 pounds? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. See that? Even the laughter lets you know the framework because in other communities, that's not funny. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not funny. Oh, you, have, you ever see this scenario? And I'm sure you've seen it, right? Um, where a man will tell uh, a young girl or tell a woman, okay, you're a little too sick. You need to lose weight. You need to get in shape. Right. Mm -hmm. And and you have five, 10 guys tell her the same thing. Right. She'll go to the women and women will tell her the exact opposite. You're too skinny. You need to eat more. Yeah. Well, and another measure of this, uh, good, uh, a good brother called me a few days ago and we were talking, he was asking me to share some things and we started mm -hmm. talking about obesity. I shared some of this information and he was like, well, I'm not really sure. And I know him. He's a workout buff. I mean, he's mm -hmm. one of them dudes that's up at 5 a.m., you know, working out, you know, and then he's got to work out one more time throughout the day. I mean, real athletic brother. And I said, well, let me ask you, who, who exactly do you see in the gym in terms of women? And he just got quiet. <laughs> and then he started laughing. <laughs> now, I'm in Central California. So, you know, mm -hmm. Central California is not necessarily going to be the same as New York or Texas. Yeah, or right. True. So true. here his answer was Hispanic women. So that's, you know, mm -hmm. that's the majority of the population and where I am. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's usually, you know, you see white, you'll see Asian, you'll see Latina. Uh, and that's not to say there aren't bit women, black women. I'm not saying that. But the aesthetic, right, the the the, the very notion of what the, the uh, general framework is and what's considered desirable is such that, you know, men are told, accept what is available, accept mm -hmm. what we feel like giving you. And that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. Now, also keep in mind, we do know there are problems in terms of obesity. We know there are issues with quality of food. We know all these different factors. But notice, if it was just a black problem, we would be like the white community and have equal or, or you know, uh, uh, comparable numbers of obesity. Mm -hmm. Look at the disparity. That's the largest disparity between any any racial group of men and women. Mm -hmm. And we live in the same environments. So if it's strictly a matter of food, if it's quality of food, if it's carbs, if it's ports, you know, if, if that's all it was, we would have equal numbers of levels of, of obesity. There's got to be something more happening, especially on gendered grounds. And I would argue that one aspect of that difference from other communities is that we have a gynecological framework that means that women do not see themselves as competing for male attention. They see themselves as being owed a man and that he needs to accept whatever aesthetic that they determine he should value. Mm -hmm. And say so men are not competed for men. Men are earned. You know, that's why you kind of, that's why the Disney princess idea of waiting until he comes is, is prevalent in the black community because it's not something you got to go out and get. You don't got to compete with other women for he's supposed to just come because you mm -hmm. exist. And he's supposed yeah. to like what you present because you decided to present it and other women affirmed whatever you were presenting based on what they were presenting. You know, if but if you if you come from a family that's 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 mostly fit mm -hmm. and you're you're you know grossly obese or whatever, you're going to get a degree of familial pressure right. about adapting your 
you know, or changing your, your behavior. Mm-hmm. If you come from a family where that's not a priority, mm-hmm. there's going to be less pressure. It's accepted. Uh, think about this. And I just thought about this, right? Um, two, two popular singers that started out like a very, started out obese and heavy set. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was white, one was black, right? But they took two different tacks, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. One was obviously Lizzo. The other okay. is Adele. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. The other is Adele. Okay. Mm-hmm. Similar body types, similar weight problems. Okay. Right. Lizzo thinks she is old, a top tier male. And, yes. her, and, her, and you're shaming her for, yes. for being three, oh, morbidly obese, right? Okay, Adele never took that tech. Guess what she did? She did something about it. Mm-hmm. I can't attract the man that I want at this weight. Yes. And she, you wouldn't even know Adele. She said she lost half her, half her body weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Different focus. One thinks she's entitled no matter what her weight is. The other one, I have to, I'm overweight. I need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Different, different mindset. One is patriarchal or patriarchal-minded versus kind of protestal right and i and and i'm just saying that we need to consider that uh this is a feature this is an aspect of the discussion it's <laughs> cowboy says adele lost weight for a black man <laughs> hey hey you know that's the and that's one of the ironies too though when you mm-hmm. actually see overweight women uh and lizzo's a perfect example they still want fit men they want fit me she does she yeah they, they don't they don't want large men that match them, right? Yeah. So everybody's competing for the same population. Yeah. yeah. Where's where's in the, in the white world? As long as I have money, wealth, and power, I can be fat if I'm if I'm white. Yeah. Now I wanted to. I kind of went to y'all know this if you if you've been on any from uh, internet, Google to uh, YouTube. I went down the rabbit hole on this one. I kind of lost it, but I'm still gonna share some of what I found. Now, I, at a certain point, I even stopped. You know, it wasn't even about preparing for the show. I just got in the rabbit hole <laughs> in terms of obesity. <laughs> I was just looking it up at a certain point. I was like, oh, yeah, this is supposed to be for a show. I just lost it. Um, but you can see here children and adolescents and by race and gender in terms of weight. Mm-hmm. Right? Percentage of obesity among children. So the top chart is for uh, six to 11 years of age between 2013 and 2016. And you can see uh, there's, you know, column for black, white. Um, so non-Hispanic black, non-Hispanic white, and then there's a black-white ratio. So basically, you have a two uh, 2.3 ratio. In other words, mm-hmm. you have, uh, you know, as, as far as the percentage of obesity, 24% of 6 to 11-year-old girls are obese, uh, black girls, 10.4% white girls, mm-hmm. 15.5% black boys, 17.3 percent high high for white man white boy boys yeah yeah exactly yeah so in this dynamic six to eleven years old black girls of course are the, the high have the highest percentage of obesity followed by white men when you go to uh <laughs> officer Fogner says i i rebunk the fats in the name of white curly hair jesus <laughs> <laughs> what's up man i hope you're well <laughs> charles man crazy uh in terms of adolescence right um so a uh, percentage of high school students who were overweight in 2017 mm-hmm. they the same columns non-hispanic black non-hispanic white and then you have the ratio column and of course females and males 
What we mm. see is yet again, black adolescent girls have 20.8% um, uh, obesity. Uh, black boys, 14.8, right? And be- between whites, now notice notice what happens. Between whites, they've gone from 10% and 17% females and males respectively to 14% and 13%. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to level out. Remember the last chart we saw, they were both at 38%. So now we're seeing that by the time they reach adolescence, by the time they reach high school, they're starting to level out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to say about this before I move on. No, no. Basically, you know, you, you see the uh, <laughs> you see the 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 the, the gap. Males are pretty, you know, black males are, and white males are pretty much the same as far as numbers, even uh, on the other chart. The numbers mm-hmm. are pretty much the same. The outlier is always the black female. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, let's see what happens. Now, there's some interesting little twists, right? Um, there's one. I don't think I included it on here. But anyway, this one is uh, age-adjusted percentage of overweight persons 20 years of age and over mm-hmm. who were obese, 2013 to 2016. And it's based on a BMI of 30 or greater. Mm-hmm. So uh, we see now this is, yeah, this is the twist. Notice, right, in terms of black, this is where the men actually, um, no, they're just under. So it's 38%. For black men, mm-hmm. fairly high. Fifty-six percent for women, mm-hmm. right? And for non-Hispanic white, thirty-seven point, really thirty-seven percent for both men and women. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but basically, if you look at it, black, you know, you know, within the percentage of error, uh, black men are the same as is the normal national rate. Black women are always the outlier. Yeah, but you know, in terms of describing why. You have mm-hmm. people that are going back and forth with all kinds of, um, you know, ideas about why. But one of the arguments that I put on the table is that we have a different cultural structure. We, do. we have a different set of aesthetic expectations. And the difference is in our community, women set their own aesthetic and men are socialized to receive and accept it. Mm-hmm. We are not a part of determining what is the female aesthetic. In, in other words, what is the standard of beauty? We don't, as men, determine that. Whereas in other, other communities, the men do determine it. Right. If men decide they want thinner women. Women go out and work to get thin. Yeah. In our community, the men can say what they like. The women are going to present what they want, and it is expected that you accept it and 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 like it. Remember, remember a couple of years ago, and I think Kevin was Kevin Sams actually talked about this, the bonnet thing. Okay. Where women, where women were yeah. wearing bonnets, and yeah. black men yeah. were saying wholesale yeah. we didn't like the you know, the bonnets, especially in public. Mm-hmm. Guess what black women did when they were actually ashamed for it? They doubled down on it. Oh yeah, well they doubled down on it, and then they pointed out a 19, 1990s era hip hop thing. You know, well I'm not saying it ended, but you know there was a degree mm-hmm. of population of it in the 90s popularization, right? That men wearing do rags, mm-hmm. and that was that, that got to be pretty big in the 90s. I'm not saying they don't still do it. But I'm saying the doubling down was, well, men do it, too. Mm-hmm. You guys wear do-rags. And it's like, eh, yeah, you, I've seen that. But not quite. A, a re- it's not. I've never seen it as a regular thing. No. When you watch Kevin's show, it would be highly educated, well-to-do women showing up on a public show on camera mm-hmm. with, with, with a bonnet on. With a bonnet on, yeah. You know, that's, you know, that's like a dude, you know, entrepreneur with a degree and a suit. And a do rag. You really don't <laughs> really don't, you know, you don't really see that like that, you know. 
but that's kind of what was uh what we started to see but again we don't yeah. determine the aesthetics yeah and they were letting us know who's in control just they by doing that you know. yes mm -hmm. absolutely they were letting you know and one of the big uh debates that came about in this last week of one of my older shows had to do with i did two shows on sexless marriages mm -hmm. and um and so there was some debates in the comment section about that and that kind of was a big thing in the last week but i bring that up to say not only do we not control the aesthetics of what we we hold to be beautiful in the black mm -hmm. community as men but even after marriage we are not in the determining position on the frequency of sex right Often that's something that women determine. And often, you know, we find ourselves in a position where up to 10, anywhere between, they, as the data goes, 10 to 20% of marriages are sexless. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but again, I differentiate between other communities because the cultural framework is different. So for us, mm -hmm. if we have a gynecological framework where she is the head of the household, and when you marry her, she determines mm -hmm. the amount and frequency of sex that is, that, that people we get to participate in mm -hmm. but on top of that she's going to determine what she deems to be beautiful in her presentation mm -hmm. and you have no say in it where does that take black relationships mm. you know that's you know that's the question to ask where does it take us you um, you are socialized that uh, if mama ain't happy nobody happy yeah, pretty much mm -hmm. and she may not even know what makes mama happy so i'm just you know <laughs> you just gotta accept it um so anyway, uh, according to the data, African-American women have the highest rates of obesity or being overweight compared to other groups. About four out of five African-American women are overweight or obese. Four out of five. But again, if you don't set the standard for what is considered beautiful in your community, you are told what to like. What to like. Yeah, you are. And if and you try to speak up about what you like. It's sign language sign language yeah um now we're gonna go here i'll try to enlarge it a little uh, i'm gonna apologize in advance um you know what uh this is hold on it's not the one i want to do yet i'm gonna start with the women i'm gonna start with the women um hold on i wasn't planning to do these today but since we are here Let's go ahead and start with the women. Yeah, yeah. So we're just yeah. looking. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say also there's a there's another one that uh, does it demographically about sex ratios and when when the sex ratios actually start to change because uh, uh, from one to, from I think it's from one to ten uh, there's slightly more uh, slightly more black males than females right but, but from ten to twenty it changes to fifty fifty and from then on from twenty on out out basically starts to drop like every five years the percentage of men to women the ratios actually starts to drop like one percent so by the time you get to 40 thing. yeah i'll send it to you. you you were saying by the time it gets to 40 by the time you get to 40 basically uh um the ratio is uh, uh the, what is the math uh it's like 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 uh almost 60 percent uh women versus 37 percent men okay so again this is black males and you can see the ages at the top there's a ranking on the far left of one to ten and that if we go i'm trying to there we go uh, if you go all the way to the right side which we'll do in a moment uh there's a ranking of the top 10 causes of death uh overall for black women as a whole mm -hmm. but the rest of the of the whole uh, uh, uh chart 
or the rest of the whole um damn it uh the, the whole uh graph is mm-hmm. uh is based by age so mm-hmm. a couple things uh and really i'm not going to go through each one but we can just call out uh areas of 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 interest right areas of of, of note so you'll notice as far as women are concerned right that homicide um becomes a bit of a feature mm-hmm. and between age one to four and this is uh at 71. and some mm-hmm. of these mem- these numbers you might kind of have to memorize to some extent because when we get to males you'll see the difference so homicide does become a factor at age one all the way to age 44 uh, but it is at its highest between ages one and 34. Uh, 71 women killed, 45 women killed between five and nine or girls, uh, 450, uh, 465 between ages 15 and 24, uh, 488, I think that is uh, between 25 and 34. So you can see homicide is 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 in the black community. Uh, suicide starts as early as five, but it is uh, the number 10 cause of death. Uh, shout out to Nathan for the cash app. Appreciate the support. It is the number 10 cause of death in the black community for girls five to nine uh, suicide. It jumps up to number three between ages 10 and 24 and then goes down to number seven and between ages 25 to 34. Right. And so the top 10, the, the top causes of death are heart disease, malignant neoplasms, COVID comes through with 27,000 deaths, cerebral vascular disease. Mm-hmm diabetes. Now, the reason I'm going through this, Alzheimer's, the reason I'm going through this is the same reason I posted it, because a lot of the times you'll hear rhetoric about how black men are the number one cause of death for black women. Understand, you don't see homicide anywhere in the top 10 causes of death. The the top cause of death is heart disease. The number 10 cause of death is hypertension. I just want you to kind of see that. I want you to see the dynamic. I don't want to move on uh, without your reflections. So, if there's anything you no, want to, yeah, no, no, go ahead. Yeah. So, so just kind of keep that in mind, and uh, let's see if we can find the men. Let's see, we are working. Come on. Yeah, there we go. So that's the men. All right. So again, same structure, right? And if we start at the left. What you'll notice is that homicide is the ninth cause of death for boys under the age of one year old. Mm-hmm. This is see when I talk about uh, the, the you know uh, the black male dual economy, I'm not just talking about income. I'm not just talking about wealth. What I'm actually saying is there's a cost of living impact, a, a critical quality of life difference between males and females, really across race. But especially in the black community, mm-hmm. there is there is there is definitely a higher toll that being a male uh, has than being a female in the black community. And this, of course, is supported by Errol Miller, is supported by Jim Sedanius. I mean, we can see the reasons structurally uh, that play into it. But we're taught in our households and in, in universities that you know black is black. We're all the same, women and, and men, and you know. And to point out any differences is either sexist. Or it's woke if you're talking about the differences as it relates to women and girls. If you're qualifying how difficult life is for women and girls, that's acceptable. Uh, But other than that, you're just supposed to talk about black life. But if you start to qualify how different the men and boys live, 
that's considered an inherently misogynist act. And it's considered inherently dismissive. This is why when Tina Knowles did the documentary, before mm. anybody even saw it, it was considered mm. offensive because she foregrounded the males. It was offensive because she focused on the males, not because of what she said about the males, mm -hmm. the fact that the documentary even focused on the males was considered offensive in and of itself. Mm. Yes. RM, welcome to the Onyx Brotherhood. Thank you for your membership. Right. So that was the, so so again, focusing on males is already considered a problem. But even when you point out statistically how much more difficult black male life is, you'll either get cognitive dissonance where people are just, you know, staring at you, but they're not listening any, anymore uh, mm -hmm. or they refuse to listen to a broadcast you want to share or look right. at data you want to share or they'll call you a sexist. Yeah, you know, and, and like I said, I did a, a couple of uh, videos, uh, mm -hmm. uh, reaction videos, highlighting that that their uh, that their uh, the refusal of the refusal to actually change their worldview. Yeah, you know, and one older woman, she was actually a sweetheart. The thing is, her her uh, her worldview would not let it let 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 certain things in, no matter yeah. how you presented it to them. No, that was a brilliant uh, review. Matter of fact, I think it was, I forget. And that might have been one of those nights you posted it like at two or three in the morning. Oh, yeah, in the morning, yeah. And I had to send you a tweet, I mean, a, a text right there. I was like, God damn it, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a beautiful review uh, uh, on the TLA, on mm -hmm. the lead attorney's channel. Uh, Shout out to the lead attorney, yeah. Right. Talking to, uh, I, think, I think she was like a Christian. She was, she had a ministry. Minister? She had, she had, she, yeah. Yeah, she was, a, she had a, a Christian ministry where she ministered to, uh, uh, troubled people that were, uh, right. in the, uh, justice system and stuff like that. Yeah. And so the question was, you know, whether or not boys and, and girls should be punished differently. And you got to see an incredible, uh, response. And really that was an, a demonstration of cognitive dissonance on her mm -hmm. part. Mm -hmm. uh, but which which channel did you post it on? Because I want to send people there. I, 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 I posted it on the Black Pill Gnostic uh, channel. Okay. So you can go to Black Pill Gnostic and uh, and you can watch it. I don't remember the exact name of the video, but uh, it was very recent. I think I said it was. Uh, I think it was called uh, uh, "Jail is for Men." Yeah, jail is for men. Mm -hmm. uh, watch that discussion, and you can see what I mean by refined misandry. You know, mm -hmm. I talk about coarse and refined misandry, like mm -hmm. salt. It's either really coarse or really refined and smooth. Um, you know, refined misandry is something you tend to hear from educated women where it can be extremely dismissive. Uh, and, and, and I think that video is a perfect example. And then you mm -hmm. have coarse misandry, which is like when you see, you know, tweets like black men are bullet bags. That's just mm -hmm. crass. That's mm -hmm. just in your face. And there's no, you know, defending it. When you hear refined misandry, that shit goes down so smooth. You might drink it yourself and be like, wait a minute. What did I, <laughs> what did I just... Did I yeah, today? yeah. The the name is only men should go to should get jail. That's yeah. the name of it. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll post the link to the uh, to the reaction in the in the chat. But yeah. very very straightforward. Again, that is refined misandry. If you mm -hmm. don't know, and and a lot of us are raised with with a variation of coarse and refined misandry, especially mm -hmm. when you're in a predominantly female family structure, mm -hmm. right? You know, because you're dealing, you know, particularly if you're in a family where nobody has a man, nobody has a husband. You will hear a lot of misandry from a very young age, and it will mm -hmm. become the water you swim in as a fish growing up. It just mm -hmm. is the environment you're in. And so you don't even have the vocabulary to understand what it is you're hearing and growing up with. So misandry yeah. just becomes something you're used to. 
And, you know, in, in the black community, if a girl, uh, uh, a black boy or a black girl does the same kind of crime, um, the black they'll get the black girl a lawyer to keep her out of jail, but they'll send a, a care package uh, and put money on the books to the black boy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so anyway, so I just want to prepare you for that. But going back to the chart, homicide becomes something that, yes, even black boys are dealing with starting at the age of, well, actually before one year old, but even at one to four, 83 boys are killed. I told you earlier, if you kind of want to remember the numbers. And of course, if you're watching the replay of this, you can go back uh, and look at them. Screenshot it if you need to. Right. But you can see boys are dying at much higher numbers. And by the time you get to 15, mm-hmm. between 15 and 44, you see numbers like 3,800, 4,100, 2,000. This is, mind you, only for 2020. Now, I found I have these kind of charts going back to the 1990s, over 20 years, all consolidated in one chart. This chart is just 2020. So when you add up all those numbers as far as homicide, those are black males who died just in 2020 due to homicide. Right. Mm. Thousands of them. And then homicide actually is still a factor into our 50s. So it's the Mm. sixth cause of death for black men uh, between 45 and 54. Right. So uh, it, it's the second cause, leading cause of death between ages one and 14. It is the leading cause of death between 15 and 34. It is the third cause of death between 35 and 44. And then the sixth cause between 45 yeah. and 54. Uh, so who's killing these these males uh, between the ages of one and 14? Interesting question. Because we only, <laughs> we only hear like- about, you know, black males killing each other, obviously, because the numbers are higher. You live in the same community. Mm-hmm. But um, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, especially, especially one between, between one and nine yeah it's, it's not the it's not the neighborhood boy now across age you got the top 10 causes of death on the far right column right so just like with the women heart disease is the number one cause of death for black males right malignant neoplasms right covid coming in at number three you got homicide now this now this is one of the major differences um uh, uh, homicide is the fifth leading cause of death for mm-hmm. black men across age. It is mm-hmm. the fifth leading cause of death. You didn't see homicide in the top ten for women at all. Mm-hmm. So there's this 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 thing going around in social media where they're saying, "Oh, well, you know, black men are killing black women every five minutes." Or some I can't remember. I don't know what this bullshit comes from, mm-hmm. but you would see it in the top ten causes of death. Every five hours, I think that's what oh, it was. Is that what it is? Five hours? Yeah. Yeah. This is this is it homicide wasn't even in the top ten for women. It's in it's in the top five for men, black men. You know, and then you can see it from there. Cerebral vascular disease, diabetes, chronic low respiratory uh, respiratory disease, nephritis, uh, nephritis, and hypertension. Right. So black men die most from heart disease, just like black women and die uh at least at the, out of the top 10 to, due to hypertension, just like black women. The major difference is that more black men died due to COVID, more black men died due to homicide. You know, that's it. Now, and really, uh, if this is consistent with the last chart, I think more men died due to, um, where to go? Hold on. I'm trying to make sure it doesn't mess with the screen. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. So um, 
Mm, yep, more men die due to heart disease. Now, this is a recent thing. Over the last like five or so years, yeah. Uh, before before that, you actually had more black women dying due to heart disease. Black men died from other things, mm-hmm. you know. And there were far fewer of us here, especially when you got over the age of fifty-five. But then, about five years ago, somewhere in there, black men surpassed black women in terms of heart disease, mm-hmm. um, and even uh, slightly malignant neoplasms. You know, more men died due to that than women. More men yeah, died cancers. due to COVID. Yeah. yeah. It, so you know, you're starting to see this kind yeah, of play yeah. out because black men had started having longer lifespans. Yeah. Right now, there's still there's still uh, slightly more women that die due to cerebrovascular disease than men. Mm-hmm. By about mm-hmm. two, roughly about two thousand, um, but for the most part, this tends to be something that men die more from, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that also has to do with how long we live, you know. Yeah, stuff we're just not around for. Yeah, we are not around to, to get to the where heart failures and stuff like that. Yeah. But how does this whole issue relate to the gynecological family structure in terms of the deaths? Well, you know, we're talking about boys who grow into men. And don't live as long, first off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? But even when you're dealing with homicide, a lot of the time, too, you're also dealing with levels of protection. That's the feature. You know, when we talk about homicide in the black community, we generally talk about it like these men are just going out there and it's the Wild West. Mm-hmm. They don't have a reason. They're, women have, are intricately tied into this. Mm-hmm. Intricately tied into this. If I use the term like proxy violence, you know, some people will know what that is, some won't. But to put it more simply, when you were in grade school and you saw a girl say, I'm going to go get my brothers, mm-hmm. that's proxy violence. Now, by the time you get into your middle school, high school years, that can become a life threatening dynamic to hear somebody say to you. Right. By the time you're dealing with adulthood, especially early adulthood. Yeah, that can yeah. easily transition into homicide. So even though the numbers are very high for men, we've always acted like homicide in the black community did not involve girls or women at all, and that women were just victims mm-hmm. of male violence. But women are tied into these stories. How many men are fighting each other over a woman? How many are competing over a woman? How many have been called in to protect a woman? And I'm not saying protection is a bad thing, but I am saying that it, it, it it's, it's a factor of the, the social expectation of a male performance, and yet it doesn't seem to come up as an explanation or some of the homicides that we look at. We just treat it like women have nothing to do this with this whatsoever. Right. These guys are just crazy. Right. Not right. how community functions. Even the even the uh the dangerous activities of uh selling drugs and and, and the under the underground economy is right. there to support mama and there yeah. to support the, the, the family. They sure. don't do they don't just well, well there's no little boy that wakes up one day and says, I'm going to actually jump off the porch and go sell drugs. No, he's doing it as an economic benefit to the mother and to, yeah. the, to, the, to the network. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Some families actually anticipate that they're, that they're, the, you know, the, the males who are part of their network are mm-hmm. going to get a, go to jail at some point. Yeah. Like, uh, what is it? Chris Rock says, sometimes you need a black man, sometimes you need a nigga, right? Well, and I, I would argue the gynecological family structure depends on that accent. Sometimes you're going to you're going to rely on him, but, you know, he's either going to get killed or go to jail at some point. You know, I've mm-hmm. even met women that only dated men who performed like that because they, they had disposable cash. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, when and if he died or went to jail, they kind of went into the relationship knowing uh, that he was yeah. disposable. 
he's disposable. You know, we ride him till his wheels fall off, right? Yeah. We toss him and get you another one. Almost like, uh, what is it, the, uh, the we just call them burner cell phones? Yes. When he ran out of minutes? Yes. Disposable. It in, disposable, yeah. Yeah, and that's precisely what men tend to be in a gynecological framework. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the case in other communities where there is a social value men in our community and a lot of this has to do with the last century of structural exclusion as far as black males are concerned we have been framed in many ways as uh as unreliable and thus disposable and just like claudine told her daughter in the film i think it was 19 i forget what 1971 something like that 1971 yeah yeah she says uh you know you're not even going to be able to to depend on him yeah and she's saying this even though the end of the movie, she actually does marry James Earl Jones' character, Roop. Mm-hmm. And she is the outlier among all her single mother girlfriends in the film. She's still mm-hmm. telling her daughter, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to rely on him. Yeah. And, 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 and the, 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 you know, the, the, the documentary, the famous documentary that's been passed around on YouTube for you know, many, yes. many years, Bill Moyers about the black family, right? Yeah. What did, what did, the, what did the girls say that he, that he asked? You want to get married? Mm-hmm. Some did. Why? Because uh, you can't depend on them, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be—I don't want to be stuck taking care of a whole family, including a man. Yes, yes. Which is still the thought process when you're dealing with a man who can actually provide for you. Right. That same thought process is in play, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that thought process when you're dealing with a man that earns less or is unemployed. But the mm-hmm. difficulty with men that are able to provide is many re- men report not being able to get cooperation even from women that they can provide for. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is because you're supposed to join her gynecological network. Exactly. That's why I remember the, the, the other video I played with the other, with the uh, uh, interview with the 92 Octane. Mm-hmm. What does she say? You have to, you have to I, I expect you to join my world. Yes. Support yes. me. Follow Support my me. lead. Okay. Yes. And, yes. and I will allow you to lead. If anything, I will allow you to lead. Yes. And so you have the promise of, of what do they call it? Future uh, cooperation. What is that? Future femininity. The, the promise of femininity. Right. You know, conditional. conditional. Unconditional. You're supposed to give unconditional love. She's supposed to give conditional femininity. Conditional femininity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But beyond the end of it, see, the, I, I agree with that. But the only problem with it is we individualize it. What I'm trying to get us to see is these individual practices that so many of us have come into contact with right. are products of a larger cultural structure. The it is. cultural yeah. structure is that you are supposed to fall into her network. So even if you make more, she'll compete with you on one end. She may even resent the fact that you're making for more, but the only way you're fully accepted is if somehow she's in control of the more you make. And right. if you're, and, and this is probably, this is part of the problem with, with black men that are educated or, or who earn independently, you're not as easy to bring into that fold, mm-hmm. not as easy to bring into that network. You're going to more apt for her to move into a place that you purchase or a place you already have. This mm-hmm. offsets the power structure that's desired. And even other women will chastise her for putting herself in a situation where she has right. to rely on you. Yeah, yeah. So there's tension already out the gate, yeah. already out of the gate. Go ahead. Uh, I think you were. No, no. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you were going to say something. Oh, I, I, I was thinking that uh, even and, and you're, you're one of those rare individuals that, that I call 92s, right? Rare individuals that check boxes, right? 
even that, that you're expecting you, you yeah yeah go ahead you're, you're still expected to serve her agenda by what you earn and what you know oh yeah that that starts in the courting phase i mean this mm -hmm. this is something we definitely saw in the 1980s and especially in the 90s right where fellas learned that you know part of of seducing and courting a woman Mm -hmm. Not only in how you dressed and having your body game together, but mm -hmm. also in this kind of R&B fueled idea of, you know, I'm going to bring her to my place. I'm going to cook for her. I'm going to do, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. this service. What you are doing is mm -hmm. you're auditioning your skills at serving women serving as your leading quality yeah. to attract a woman. Yeah. This is actually, I mean, on one level, it's enjoyable for most women, but some cultures would find this not only backward, but right. in some respects repulsive. Repulsive, because, yeah. Because they find masculinity to be attractive. But if you're calling a woman over just to cook and clean for her and seduce her yeah, and massage yeah. her, yeah. You know, and we've already talked about the, the ways in which black males are socialized to even interpret sex. Mm -hmm. Yes. Know, now, I'm not saying all men live up to the socialization, but the idea that we we inherited at a very young age. Yeah, yeah, the, press, the, the pressure's there even before you start. Well, that's what I'm form. saying. But it, and it's very specific. We're taught even at a young age, you, sex is not measured in minutes. It's measured in hours. <laughs> hours, yeah. If you're not putting in hours, you're weak. There's something yeah. wrong with you. And if you if you're there for hours and she doesn't get the desired result, yes, yes. I mean, even the the guys I would be around in in middle school and high school, we were talking about these things. The mm -hmm. goal was to make to incapacitate her, and not with mm -hmm. alcohol or drugs. You need to be able to do this with skill. Yeah, right? yeah. This, but but these kind of standards, when you actually have conversations or you look at data related to other communities, I think I shared this a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. There was one study that said the average length of, of a sexual session, particularly with other groups, was yeah, it's five, five to minutes. ten minutes tops. Yeah, yeah, tops. Yeah. But even by high school, we were measuring it by hours. Right. Yeah. If you can't blow her blow her back out, you ain't shit. Yeah. And 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 when you did do it, that was that was actually considered uh, what should have been a I guess the lack of a better way to put it that was a default. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not that three hours was like a major accomplishment. It's that three hours was the default. Mm -hmm. Anything you know, you start talking about ten minutes, you you were laughed at. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, if you talked about anything longer than three hours, you, you know, people didn't believe you. <laughs> 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 but my issue is not whether or not you could do it. It's how it became an expectation that even men pass to one another. Mm -hmm. Right. And so whether it, so if you could do it, that was great. If you couldn't do it, you were laughed at. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there was not a lot of social pressure placed on what she was supposed to do for you. There's yeah. a little bit on what you could get her to do. But most of the onus of performance was on you. Yeah, and that, that's that's the odd thing because I, I was talking to Rom uh, about guys that uh, fit a woman's imprint, what uh, the kind of guy that she likes. Mm -hmm. He's 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 uh, got resources. He's really good looking, mm. you know. But the thing is, if he can't get an orgasm, okay, he's looked at as lesser. Yes. Well, and it's even before that. Like if you you know when you when you talk about the cold approach and game, mm -hmm. you have to walk up to a perfect stranger and, and and the social expectation is that you have to say something she's never heard before in a mm -hmm. way that is creative and different. Mm -hmm. And you ain't seen this woman but for a few seconds, maybe. Mm -hmm. But that's the pressure. So the social pressure to seduce 
is that mm-hmm. you have to be that creative. And then by the time mm-hmm. you get to the dating portion and the sex portion, you have to be, you know, so these kinds of pressures in and of itself to me are still an extension of the gynecological framework because you are on the auditioning block at each yes. level. You're yes. auditioning your services and, and the, the really what it comes down to is you're almost kind of promising Right through these acts very early on, you're promising your ability to provide mm-hmm. ongoing service. Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. that's you know that's how I frame that. So, but um, I wanted to kind of leave it there because um, I think there's there's some things to chew on, and I'm interested to interested in hearing in the comments uh, what people have to say. What uh, if you have some scenarios? Uh, you know they got stories you know they have stories pull out all those stories guys because now you have them yes please pull those stories out tell us what you've experienced and if you think i'm wrong you know go ahead and tell me why you know but at the end of the day this is the kind of discussion that i want black men to have uh because there's so much of this that we've we've not even had the vocabulary to say we've not even we've not been told how to we haven't thought about how and sometimes We've underestimated the scope of the problem, even when we have a sense that there's a problem, you know? And so those are the kind of things I want us to be cognizant of. So uh, my appreciation for uh, BGS for being willing to come in. Uh, He's been grinding pretty heavy doing Patreons and helping other people. And Mm -hmm. uh, and I just want to say thank you for that, man. I know you're tired. Just got through working with your grandson. So I appreciate you, (laughs) you know? And I was just talking about this very thing uh, last night on a on a panel, and the mm. frustration that even um, even after they've been shown and the numbers are are correct and it's shown throughout all the everything that you every metric right they mm-hmm. still refuse to believe that that uh, that that uh, women are actually responsible for this. Okay? okay, they believe that if I if I alpha my way through it we can actually change this and we can't mm. it's always the man's fault that this happened okay it's it's the guy the guys allowed this the man allowed this it didn't used to be this way say no i said we didn't we didn't we didn't form this society we didn't form this culture it was actually formed for us yeah and i and i hear a lot of that especially in social media that mm. the answer to the problem is to just out alpha everybody out alpha everybody to you know to be the most alpha in the room and and all of a sudden, all of these structures are going to change because you're there. Yeah. And I have issues with that. But here's the here's the deeper problem. Even if that is the case, mm-hmm. you know, and we're talking about multiple generations mm-hmm. having been raised in a cultural framework that downplays the value of men. Yeah. You're going to have a minority of men that are going to be able to function on that level over a long period of time. Yeah. So to me, we got to develop structures that actually shift that conditioning over time. And these need to be environmental structures. Yeah, it can't yeah. just be personal motivation. They can't just be, uh, let me teach you these game tips on what to say, how to, you yeah. know, how to, how to bark somebody. It, it's got to move beyond the individual mm-hmm. and actually become something that we talk about. And this is why we have the Black Male Political Agenda. We're talking about environmental changes that need to take place. And those environmental right. policies that change behavior over time Right. What we're looking at. It's got to be structural. Got to start with the structure first. Yes. Yeah. Now, if you can get individual, you know, uh, techniques that help, great. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to work on a larger scale. Everybody can't do the same thing. 
you know, mm-hmm. it, it just is what it is. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, we have to think about it in a larger, a larger sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I might revisit the, you might remember this one. You, you were too, you probably weren't born yet, but uh, I remember this one. Gil Scott Heron, uh, Superman, right? Ain't no oh. such thing as Superman. I don't remember that one. I remember oh, you don't remember that one? As a treat, what we're talking about, you can't offer your way through it. He said that back in, the, in, in like, I do believe it was like the 1970s, like 71, 72. Okay. Mm. Mm. Ain't no such thing as a Superman. And, but, and, I, and, go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's Gil Scotty. So in other words, they, it's been consistent for years, right? 50 years has been consistent. You cannot offer your way through this thing. Okay. You yeah. have, it has to be structural. You can't change it by yourself. You can't be Superman. You, Superman's not going to swoop down out of the sky and just all of a sudden change the way the black community works. It doesn't work that way. I would argue in the black community, what Superman is the default expectation that men's yes. value is measured against. Mm-hmm. When you say, as, a, as a, just starting off with, you need to be six foot two and above, what percentage mm-hmm. of men fall in that category? Mm, you're talking about less than 10 percent superman mm. when you say you need to earn more than a hundred thousand you guys just went through the charts with me what mm. percentage of men are doing that was it two, was less than five percent like two percent superman mm-hmm. right and, and and we can do we can do this on several metrics we can talk about penis size we can mm. talk about uh sexual skill learned behavior we can talk mm. about educational accomplishment we can talk about uh, you know, successful entrepreneurship or even mm-hmm. employment on yeah. every metric, the base level default expectation that black men are measured against is fucking Superman. Right. I, I do. I, I think I did it. I only do, use six metrics. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it came out to be like 1100 guys. I mean, I used to tell women all the time, y'all are all competing for the same two dudes in every city. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, that's what you're doing. You're, you're, but as long as, now it's one thing to say, okay, these are things that I want in a man. Mm-hmm. But when you actually raise boys with the social expectation that if they're not that, they're immediately some, something someone has to settle for. Mm-hmm. You create a problem because by the time a woman has to settle for you, there's a dramatic shift in behavior. There's a dramatic shift in how the relationship goes. You are, in many ways, you're considered a lucky recipient of her time and favor. And thus with it, you have an arrogance or even a narcissism Mm -hmm. that tends to go with her behavior. But this, again, is not just an individual thing. These women didn't wake up as individuals and decided to be narcissists. This is a product of a cultural structure that promotes the idea that she is fundamentally superior. You are fundamentally inferior. Inferior, And the best you can do, her ideal, is essentially to be equal to how she sees herself. You have Mm -hmm. to live the equality mm-hmm. of how she imagines herself in terms of mm-hmm. her social value. And you have to prove it out in the world. And if you think, if you think that you're superior, she'll try to bring you down. Oh, she'll bring you down. But mm-hmm. here's the worst part of it. When you start to talk to many men who have accomplished the list, right? Now you're always going to have a few that say, Oh, you know, I've gotten every woman I wanted. I've been treated well across the board. Okay, great. That's mm-hmm. fine for you. But when mm-hmm. you start to really talk about men who have achieved the standard, who, as you say, check boxes, Yes. When they report about how they're perceived and treated, what are they, what are they used to say in this space? The juice ain't worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. 
that's a yeah. lot of work you got to do for for conditional femininity and the 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 illusion of respect mm-hmm. but this is why i think a lot of brothers and i haven't done this yet but a lot of brothers talk about when they go overseas mm-hmm. they're they're treated dramatically different right whether they're superman or not even patrice o'neill said it you're superman just off gp yeah in another context you know but anyway but uh, any closing thoughts brother before i, before I let you go because i know i put you to work so <laughs> the thing is is that uh, in a patriarchal society you notice that uh, even the poorest man can get genuine desire respect and submissiveness right and a guy in a protestal, even the best man can't get it. Not reliably. Yeah. Not reliably. You know, yeah. uh, hell, look at, uh, you know, <laughs> well, even though uh, Kim Kardashian is not, um, Kim Kardashian is not quote unquote black, right? Things mm-hmm. look what Kanye West has to go through. He's a billionaire. <laughs> well, Hey man, again, appreciate you coming up, brother. Any closing thoughts? Uh, y'all support the BGS at Bidmore channel. Support Black Gnostic. Uh, what is it? Black Black Pill Gnostic. Black Pill Gnostic. Yeah, if if you want to hear me, I've I moved most of my uh, commentary on black females over to Black Pill Gnostic to okay. open up the other channel for something a little bit more, you know, actually scholarly. Let's put it that way. So, so if you want to hear me do reactions and stuff like, that, I start doing more of them uh, about women. And stuff like that. That's where that's where I'll be on the Black Pill Gnostic, which is mm-hmm. actually pretty actually growing. A lot of participation. Right. Support the channel if you would. Thanks a lot, bro. Thank you. All right. I'm gonna go ahead and take you down. Um, anyway, appreciate you guys joining us tonight on the Honest Report. I look forward to hearing your uh reflections on what was said tonight in the comment section. Um you know, I appreciate the the uh, donations extended. Again, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel, uh, and uh, I particularly support the longtime subscribers and my ongoing members on YouTube for their support. Shout out to Interlight Radio uh, for the support that they've given for the longest time. I appreciate you, brother Jamal, and I appreciate all of you. So again, um, you know, hope this was helpful to you. Hope you got something out of it, and uh, share it. So other brothers can too. Have a good night. Peace. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unintelligent henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, Your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic and selfish and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.